The All Show is back with you for a new week of talking about what's going on across the southeast. From the Dixie Cafe, I'm John Rawl, the general of all things Southern, thanking you for taking a little time out of your hectic Monday or whatever day you're tuning us in. We appreciate it. And we've got an action-packed y'all show coming your way today. We've got lines open if you want to text or call us. 803-816-1170 is the way you can do that. And that, again, is available for all of you catching us right now on our great radio lineup. Or if you are catching us in our podcast options, including Spotify, iHeartRadio, the TuneIn Radio app, Apple Podcasts. Check us out all of those different ways. It is y'all, the show about the South, and we're going to be here for the next three hours walking you through all of the fun that the South's got going on today. On our Started the Week edition of the Y'all Show, we've got all the news headlines from across the region, including that sad, sad story from Waverly, Tennessee, and just devastating floods from the past weekend over 20 people already confirmed dead we'll give you the latest out of that portion of middle tennessee and our news headlines from across the southeast to kick off today's y'all show we also have other news stories that we will bring you up to speed including the latest with some covid19 related stories taking place across the country we have that coming your way on the y'all show plus we have interesting information in terms of the state of Florida. We'll share that with you. We have great news in terms of sports. Do you realize this weekend college football actually kicks off? We've got real live football games being held, and I'll tell you the handful of games that will be launching on Saturday, week zero of the college football season is upon us, and we'll tell you about those games. We also have some NFL news and notes that we'll tell you Terrible injury for former Alabama Crimson Tide quarterback A.J. McCarron. We'll fill you in on that. And also we'll let you know today as we march through the south, getting you ready for the start of the college football season, we have two different schools that we'll be spotlighting on our tour across the south, getting you ready for Labor Day weekend. We have the Kentucky Wildcats feature today. We also have the Oklahoma State Cowboys We'll walk through their schedules. We'll tell you about some of the great players of yesteryear for both of these programs. We'll also discuss the coaches for both UK and OSU. We'll discuss famous alumni from each of the schools. And we'll discuss some of the game day traditions you'll find in both Lexington and Stillwater. It's our college tour across the South getting you ready for the start of the season. And today we're mixing in two colleges, the University of Kentucky and Oklahoma State University. Go Cats, go Big Blue, and go Pokes. In hour number one today, before we wrap up this hour and move over to hour two, we will spotlight Southern history. And we've got a couple of big events going on this week in our Southern history. And two of the events include the same city. As this week in history, we celebrate, or we at least remember, not necessarily celebrate, the burning of Washington, D.C. That actually happened and the War of 1812, and it was this week, back in the year 1814, that the nation's capital was set ablaze by invading British troops. We'll talk about the burning of Washington, and we'll also talk about the march on Washington. That happened this week in 1963. That famous speech from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. happened this week. 
We'll discuss all that and more in our Southern History Headlines. Plus, this also is the week of the Second Battle of Bull Run from Civil War history. All that will be mixed in in our Southern History Spotlight coming up later this hour. Hour two, in addition to telling you about Oklahoma State's upcoming season, we're going to do Kentucky this hour, Oklahoma next hour, and then we'll blend in the traditions of each in hour number three. We got a special guest, and he's right back here at the Dixie Cafe, and he's going to be on with us in hour number two. It's the Takapola storyteller, Jerry Short, and he's going to be on with something fun to say. If you've got something fun to maybe talk to Jerry about, you better pick up that phone and text us, 803-816-1170. I know he wants to hear from all y'all, and we will be happy to pass that message along. Jerry Short, coming up, hour number two, hour three, before we get out of here today. We'll mix in both U.K. and Oklahoma State traditions and famous alumni. Plus, we'll have more headlines, more sports headlines, and we'll tell you about what's on the Y'all Show going forward the rest of this week. Our website is y'all.com. It is the South's homepage. Please go by there and check out all the great stuff that we have put up there from the fun stories to the recipes to the great videos and more. It is truly the South's homepage. It's y'all.com. And if you go there, you will just come away amazed, I'm sure, about all the fun stuff at y'all.com. Let's dive into the headlines quickly as we continue on with our number one of today's program. And we start off in Waverly in Tennessee. That is Middle Tennessee. Essentially, it's right on the Tennessee River, Waverly, in the county it resides in. It's essentially the corner of Middle and West Tennessee, right where the Tennessee River flows on the west side of Nashville is where Waverly is. Hurricane Mills, where Loretta Lynn lives, that's also in that same area. In fact, tragically, it was her property manager or farm manager, one of Loretta Lynn's employees, was one of these folks killed in this deluge of rain that happened on Saturday in Waverly, Tennessee, as at least 22 people have now been confirmed dead. And today, Governor Bill Lee and Senators Marsha Blackburn, as well as the junior senator for the state of Tennessee, Bill Haggerty, toured Waverly in that area of Tennessee to check out the deadly, deadly flooding, flash flooding in a big way. And almost two dozen people now confirmed as this flooding took out roads, towers, telephone lines, literally picked up houses and sent them, picked up businesses even, and sent them. I saw one of the most touching things from the weekend was an interview with Humphreys County Sheriff Chris Davis, and he talked about how he would just he had just come from identifying one of his best friends who had drowned in this weekend flooding. As Humphreys County, again, technically Middle Tennessee, but right on the Tennessee River, where you'll find across the river places like Paris, Tennessee, and Camden, Tennessee, and we have at least. 22 people confirmed dead at this point, but there are at least 12 to 15 more souls that remain missing at this point. And we know that we've seen people of all ages, even young twins, I think somewhere below the age of 10, a set of twins died in this awful, awful flooding. The Humphreys County Sheriff's Office in Tennessee has a Facebook page filled with people looking for missing friends and family. There's also an assortment of GoFundMe pages asking for help with funeral expenses for the dead and 
I now know the ages of those twins that died in this were seven months old as they were swept away from their father's arms as they tried to escape the floodwaters. And as I said, the foreman at Loretta Lynn's ranch in Hurricane Mills, not far from Waverly, he was among the victims. Now, Humphreys County, Tennessee has about 18,000 people in this county, roughly an hour west of Nashville, as they had in that county alone and in some other areas of Middle Tennessee, West Tennessee, almost 17 inches of rain reported when it fell in less than a 24-hour period on Saturday, and that shattered the Volunteer State's record for a one-day rainfall by more than three inches, and just a horrible, horrible scene coming out of that portion of the state of Tennessee with now at least 22 confirmed dead and a lot more missing. Our thoughts are certainly with Humphreys County and all those in the state of Tennessee. You might have seen the news today. U.S. regulators have given full approval to a Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine, and that could be a game changer as some people continuously have denied the option of maybe going and getting a vaccine. But according to many experts now, this new vaccine, this latest, is now available, and it's gotten full approval from the regulators in Washington, D.C. More than 200 million Pfizer doses have been administered in the U.S. under special emergency provisions, and hundreds of million more worldwide since December. And now today, our country giving full approval to Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine, and the hope is it will boost public confidence in the shots and will instantly open a way for more universities, companies, and local governments to make vaccinations mandatory. President Joe Biden said that for those who hesitated to get the vaccine until it received what he dubbed the gold standard of FDA approval, President Biden said the moment you've been waiting for is here. Please get vaccinated today. That the words of Joe Biden on this new vaccine. Phil Valentine was a Nashville-based radio host for many years, one of the early conservative pundits, if you will, at least on talk radio. His show never spread quite like Rush Limbaugh's. But the conservative radio host has died at the age of 61 following a month-long battle with COVID-19. And one of the things that made this story newsworthy was the host of WWTN in Nashville and Middle Tennessee, The Phil Valentine Show host died after this unfortunate month of him trying to fight and survive. Phil Valentine, unfortunately, was a definite anti-vaxxer, an anti-maybe-mask wearer as well. And he has gone on a year-long or more rant when he's been on behind the microphone and essentially told people not to get vaccinated. That all changed when he started fighting for his own life and was in critical care in a Tennessee hospital. And his brother came out in a statement about a month ago saying that his brother, Phil, had contracted the COVID-19 virus and had been hospitalized in very serious condition. And essentially, his brother changed the tune and said, it's okay to get vaccinated. You should be vaccinated. His own sister put out a statement saying, Phil Valentine, I'm sorry, this might have been from Marsha Blackburn. His sister did put out a statement, but so did the current senator from Tennessee, Marsha Blackburn, who spoke of her fellow middle Tennessean, 
Philo Valentine was a visionary for the conservative movement, and he made an enormous impact on the lives of many Tennesseans. My deepest condolences and prayers are with Phil's wife, Susan, and his family. May they be comforted and surrounded by love during this difficult time. Unfortunate news again for this longtime conservative talk show host, Phil Valentine, dying at the age of 61. And he was a native, by the way, of Nashville, but not the one in Tennessee. He was from Nashville, North Carolina, because his father at one time had been a U.S. congressman representing that portion of North Carolina east of Raleigh. And so Valentine comes from a political family. His father was a longtime Democratic politician in the state of North Carolina. Speaking of the state of North Carolina, sad news as Jeanine Robertson has died, and she died at the age of 77. She was a speaker and a humorist and an Elon University alumna. And this woman has now died. And she was also a YouTube personality. Don't want to leave that out. A former Miss North Carolina, Janine Robertson, dying at age 77. She died at her home in Burlington, North Carolina. Cause of death not released. She became Miss North Carolina at age 19 and went on to win Miss Congeniality at the 1963 Miss America pageant. Her pageant experience and her 6 foot 2 inch frame provided fodder for her comedy routines delivered in her southern accent. She wrote four books, the most recent being Don't Bungee Jump Naked and Other Important Stuff. She had a YouTube channel that had more than 114 million views, and she had a popular routine on that YouTube channel of Don't Send a Man to the Grocery Store. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, a funny lady for sure. She actually also taught physical ed in North Carolina for several years and also received a degree from Auburn University. She was a one-time president of the National Speakers Association and inducted into its Hall of Fame in 1981. Again, North Carolinian humorist and motivational speaker Janine Robinson. Her first name pronounced Janie. Okay, I'm mispronouncing it myself. Janie Robertson. Dying over the weekend. A comedian, if you will, from the southeast. We will miss her. Also dying over the weekend, country music singer and the storyteller, Tom T. Hall, the Kentucky native, who had so many great songs of his own, like Watermelon Wine and uh, Week in a Country Jail, something like that. The year Clayton Delaney died. Old Dogs, Children, and Watermelon Wine. The storyteller, Tom T. Hall, who wrote... Harper Valley PTA that was a big hit for another country music singer. He died at age 85. He died at his home in Franklin, Tennessee. The storyteller was buddies with Chris Christopherson and Mickey Newberry, and he certainly helped have a huge, huge repertoire of great songs through the years. And Tom T. Hall has now passed on. I actually have an email that's just come in from several country music stars commenting on the passing of Tom T. Hall. Let me see if I can't pull that one up. You know what? I do have that, but we have another passage in country music and music in general that I also want to pass along that I have some some comments coming in for this passage. So let me move on to the next passage from the weekend. Don Everly of the Everly Brothers has died at age 84. He died at his home in Nashville on Saturday, according to his family Attorney, Linda Edel Howard. Now, 
Don's brother Phil died back in 2014 at the age of 74. But Don Everly, half of the pioneering Everly brothers with great songs like Dream, Dream, Dream and and Bye Bye Love, Let It Be Me. Yes, the Everly brothers had 19 top 40 hits in their career. These two guys with their connections to the bluegrass of Kentucky stormed on the scene in the late 50s and 60s. And they used their rural roots from Kentucky as well as their great singing and guitar playing and more. And teaming up with Felice and Boudelow Bryant, they got great songs out on the radio. And Jerry Lee Lewis, the killer with a statement. The Everly Brothers are integral to the fabric of American music. With my friend Don's passing, I am reflected, reflected on a life full of wonderful friends, spectacular music, and fine memories. There's a lot I can say about Don, what he and Phil meant to me, both as people and as musicians, but I'm going to reflect today. That from Jerry Lee Lewis, who, crazy to believe, is still thankfully with us and people much younger than him, like both Everly brothers, who probably have had less exciting lives than the killer are unfortunately deceased at this point. But again, those were some of the words coming in from the people paying tribute to Don Everly over the weekend. I also have, let's see, a statement in from, let's see, Lee Greenwood. Lee Greenwood says, so sad to hear about the passing of Don Everly. The music of the Everly Brothers helped me form my love for entertainment. First class of inductees to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Their blend of harmony was special and unique. Rest in peace. That from Lee Greenwood. Dwayne Allen of the Oak Ridge Boys. Also a great group of singers. The Oak Ridge Boys, Dwayne Allen, saying, This week we lost another icon of the music industry, Don Everly. Don and Phil Everly's unique two-part harmonies made it difficult to decide which voice was singing lead? Each part was equally important. Rest in peace, Don, with your brother Phil. And thank you from those of us who love harmony singing. Very, very special words coming in. About Don Everly of the Everly Brothers. All right, that will, for now, take a, a little break from our news headlines as we work our way through on this start of the week edition of the show that's all about the Southeast. Let's take a break, come right back, and we will have some sports going on from across the Southeast. An unfortunate injury for a Crimson Tide great at quarterback in the NFL. We'll bring you the latest on that. Plus, we'll take a quick look at some of the football games and college football that will be played and that will actually mean something this weekend. That is ahead when the Y'all Show continues.
Alabama girl singing that way, Ashton Shepard. We're back on talk with an accent on all things Southern with your host, John Rawl. 803-816-1170 is how you can get in touch with us here on the show all about the Southeast. Let's start off here in a Southern sports update on a Monday with some news out of the NFL. It looks like A.J. McCarron's year is over as the Atlanta Falcons' backup quarterback who was playing this past weekend in preseason game number two for the Atlanta Falcons went out with an ACL tear. And now Atlanta only has two healthy quarterbacks on its roster. Matt Ryan would be one of those. And I know that new coach there in Atlanta, Arthur Smith, currently working the phones and seeing what he can do to get another quarterback ATL bound. But an unfortunate thing. I saw the video. It looked like McCarron wasn't even hit on the play that he went to the, I guess, grimacing to the turf on. It looked like he kind of planted his foot wrong on the turf there at Hard Rock Stadium. And I didn't have a chance to see the entire game, so I don't know if there were was not a play prior to that. Now, as I've said before, I'm very close to the Atlanta Falcons trainer, and I saw Danny rushing out there to take care of McCarron. But it looked like he did have this injury in the second quarter. It was a non-contact injury. Yeah, so again, McCarron went down to the ground, clutching his knee after handing the ball off to Quadre Allison. Coach Smith, after the game, remarked that the injury did not look good. And Sunday, an ACL tear was confirmed, and McCarron, is, his season is over with. He was going to be the likely backup the entire season, not expected to necessarily give Matt Ryan a run for the money to be the starting quarterback for the Falcons. But a, a really, really rough deal for number five in red and black for the Atlanta Falcons. So now the Falcons' backup quarterback goes to a guy who was the Arkansas Razorbacks quarterback in 2020 and prior to that had been the Florida Gators quarterback, and that was Felipe Franks. I thought Felipe Franks did a yeoman's job in Arkansas in 2020, but he went undrafted in the latest draft, and so Atlanta picked him up. Franks was supposed to play the second half, but entered because of this injury the game early. He ended up completing four of nine passes for 46 yards, no touchdowns, and one interception. He was sacked four times. Now, McCarron was just signed in the offseason in Atlanta to a one-year deal. Of course, through his career, he's been with the Bengals, the Raiders, and the Texans. He appeared in one postseason game for Cincinnati back in 2015. Not much going from a NFL career for A.J. McCarron, but we all know well what he did when he was a college quarterback for Nick Saban in Tuscaloosa. We wish this man all the best as he tries to look forward to maybe coming back in 2022. Matt Ryan, pressure is on for him not to be injured and to have a successful season. And frankly, from a Falcon standpoint, the pressure is on Matt Ryan big time this year anyway because Atlanta has not been trending in the right direction in the last few years since that Super Bowl debacle in Houston and we know that each year goes by, Matt Ryan's not getting any younger, and now Atlanta has made a coaching change this year, bringing in Coach Smith in from the Titans, and right now he's got a big problem to solve with the loss of this former Alabama quarterback out this entire year with an ACL tear. Now, talking about quarterbacks from the heart of Dixie, how about Cam Newton? And there is a misunderstanding 
from the former Auburn and former Carolina Panther quarterback now with the New England's Patriot, a, quote, misunderstanding over COVID-19 testing away from the facility to keep him out until Thursday. What is this all about? According to Mike Rice of ESPN, Cam Newton, the Pats quarterback, will remain away from the team until Thursday due to a misunderstanding on COVID-19 tests conducted away from NFL facilities. The Patriots putting this out today. Newton's absence comes after he traveled to a Patriots-approved medical appointment that required him to leave the New England region, according to the team's statement. And he's evidently, according to this statement, received daily COVID tests, which were all negative, but due to a misunderstanding about tests conducted away from NFL facilities and as required by the NFL-NFL Players Association protocols, Cam Newton will be subject to the five-day entry cadence process before returning to the facility. The Patriots have one more preseason game. I don't know if Cam Newton was going to get much play in this thing anyway, but it sounds like he's definitely not going to be quarterbacking when the Patriots are practicing up until he's allowed to come back in. Of course, speaking of Alabama and Auburn and Alabama quarterbacks here, Mac Jones is the heir apparent for Cam Newton in New England. He's been the number two quarterback in camp, and he's been coming in behind Newton at practice in each of the first Patriots preseason games. Mac Jones is 26 of 38 passing for 233 yards, no touchdowns and interceptions, and he's played 77 snaps, so a pretty solid preseason thus far for the rookie out of Alabama. Bill Belichick said earlier today that Cam Newton is the starting quarterback, but players, like at any position, still have to reestablish that standing throughout the preseason. Go ahead, Bill. Go ahead and say it. He's He's the man. Although Mac Jones is, I'm sure, going to get plenty of opportunities during the season, as much as Cam Newton's proven that he's a good, solid quarterback, a guy that some people, including myself, wrote off. I didn't think Cam Newton would be back to where he is. And he may not be quite the brand-new, shiny model out there on the gridiron. He still impressed me for what he did when he was doing it in 2020. So, Patriots fans, you've got, you got a lot to be optimistic about on the quarterback position. It's those, it's those other positions you, you might be a little bit concerned with. Also, we want to tell you we've got college football games going on this weekend. And we have – Believe it or not, a Big Ten contest between Nebraska and Illinois televised on Fox at high noon this weekend. That's pretty good. That's pretty good info to know. In fact, Illinois' their new coach is the former Arkansas coach, Brett Belima. He's now coaching the Illini, and he welcomes in Scott Frost's embattled Cornhusker program for a Big Ten game to kick off 2021 at high noon. Eastern, or rather, 1 o'clock Eastern, high noon, Champaign-Urbana time when Nebraska and Illinois get together. Also this weekend, UConn is playing Fresno State on the road at Bulldog Stadium in California. Hawaii and UCLA get together for a Rose Bowl game on ESPN this Saturday. UTEP is at New Mexico State, and Southern Utah is at San Jose State. Those are games, again, real, live, meaningful college football games scheduled for this Saturday across the college football landscape. We'll have more to say about this 
as the Y'all Show continues on today. We also have a lot more to say about college football as the Y'all Show continues on. When we come back, we will have a spotlight on Kentucky Wildcat Athletics as UK and Oklahoma State are both our featured schools today as we're on a tour across the South getting you ready for the start of college football. And we'll tell you about Mark Stoops' program's 2021 schedule and what you can expect out of Lexington and out of Kroger Field. That is up next as the Y'all Show continues. The South and college football have enjoyed a love affair for more than 150 years. And the Y'all Show is getting y'all ready for the biggest year college football's ever had. We're on a 44-city tour of Dixie's great college football teams. John Rawl is getting you ready when the toe meets leather Labor Day weekend. So get your chin strap on and get ready for today's Southern College Football Tour stop. Here's Johnny. Thank you for the introduction. Today we're taking you to Lexington, Kentucky. That is where you find the University of Kentucky. And on our stop across the South, getting you ready for the 2021 season, we'll take you to Kroger Field, and it's Go Big Blue today. Mark Stoops is the head coach of the Kentucky Wildcats. Kentucky is our stop today. It's our first stop. We've got two stops to make as we get you ready for the start of the 2021 season. We're also taking you for a, uh, a brief visit of Stillwater as Oklahoma State will also be in the spotlight of today's Y'all Show. Kentucky opens its 2021 season at home at Commonwealth Stadium slash Kroger Field. It is Louisiana Monroe, the Warhawk Indians coming in for a game on September 4th. That's going to be a high noon kickoff there at Kroger Field. The Cats then get into SEC play beginning the very next week, September 11th. Mizzou comes in for a game in Lexington. Then the Cats have the Chattanooga Mocs September 18th. They're on the road at South Carolina on September 25th. They will be against the Florida Gators at home on October 2nd. LSU, I love when LSU and Kentucky get together. This year, the Cats and the Tigers have a battle back in Lexington. It's a tough place for LSU fans, and they play together October 9th. The Dogs will welcome in the Cats to Athens and play between the hedges on October 16th. The Dogs will welcome in the Cats when they go to Stark Vegas for a game against Mississippi State on October 30th. The Vols and the Cats get together on November 6th in Lexington 
Then, as the Cats kind of start winding down the regular season, they're on the road in Music City to take on Vanderbilt November 13th. It's the New Mexico State Aggies coming into a game in Lexington, the final regular season game in, in the home and friendly confines of Kroger Field. And then they wrap up the regular season against their rival from the Bluegrass. It's a game at the U of L on November 27th. Kentucky football 2021. Now, looking at what some of the experts say about Coach Stoops' team entering this season, according to collegefootballnews.com, when they start looking at UK's offense in particular, they say the offense needed a jump start. They've got a new offensive coordinator in Liam Cohen, who comes to UK from the NFL. He had been an assistant under Sean McVay at the LA Rams. They also have Terry Wilson transferring with him transferring to New Mexico, they are having to figure out their quarterback situation. Joey Gatewood, he's the guy that I think just announced he's leaving the program. So it all right now centers on Will Levy's or Levi's, a Penn State transfer who's going to be the starter for Mark Stoops entering this year. They also have a couple other guys worth noting, and that includes Josh Alley as a potential quarterback, but Levi's is the projected starter. The O-line for Coach Stoops will be a big plus coming into this year. Three starters are expected back, so that's good news. Chris Rodriguez was a major factor in 2020, so he will be beefing up that offensive line. Kentucky has has been right there on the doorstep of taking it to the next level. The problem is they just haven't taken it to that next level yet. Sure, they've gone and won eight. I don't know if they've won nine games. I I know they haven't won ten games to to my memory in the last few years. In fact, if we look at the last couple of years under Mark Stoops, he has – I stand corrected. They did have a ten-win year back in 2018. They were ten and three, won the Citrus Bowl. Kentucky in the last couple of years – Remember, Coach Stoops came over in 2013. They went 2-10 and 10 in his first year. They went from 2-10 and 10 to year 2 in 2014, 5-7, another 5-7 and seven year in 2015. The next year, 2016, they did go to a bowl game. They wrapped up that year 7-6 and six with a 4-4 four and four mark in SEC play. They were also 4-4 four and 7-6 four and seven and six in 2017 where they lost a Music City Bowl game there. Kentucky went 10-3 in 2018 and won that Citrus Bowl, a very good year back in 2018, remember Kentucky went into that Citrus Bowl and knocked off Penn State in a very big win for Coach Stoops' program. The following year, 2019, they were 8-5, and five, won the Belk Bowl, and in 2020, despite having a subpar season 5-6, and 4-6 and six in SEC play, the year they played all SEC games, regular season that was, when they went to the Gator Bowl, the Kentucky Wildcats knocked off the NC State Wolfpack 23 23- 21. So they enter this season with, again, a need to get back to double digits. I think they can do it. It just depends on how well Levi's is going to be at quarterback and how good that offensive line is going to be able to stop. I think Kentucky's defense, personally, ought to be well, well prepared for this upcoming season. And they, again, with the schedule they have, if you look at it, let's, let's dive into it one more time. 
No doubt they should win their first game. They should probably win their second game. It's home against Mizzou. They should win their third game. I think they can win their fourth game, which is a road game at South Carolina. It's going to be tough to beat Florida, so we'll put that one down as a loss, 4-1 and one right now. They've got LSU coming in. We'll put that as a loss. We'll put Georgia as a loss, so they're 4-3. and three. They, they can win at Mississippi State, so that makes them 5-3. and three. They definitely can beat Tennessee at home. That makes them 6-3. and three. They definitely should and will beat Vanderbilt 7-3. and three. They no doubt will beat New Mexico State. They should beat Louisville. So they've got 9-3 and three staring at them, in my opinion, regular season with a chance to win a bowl game. And, yes, get back to a double-digit record for Mark Stoops, the coach that's been there, again, since the start of the 2013 season, the former defensive back when he played college football at Iowa, the 54-year-old Youngstown, Ohio guy who comes from that famous Stoops family. And right now he's sitting with a record of 49-50. and So he still is not a winning coach despite all the years he's been coaching Kentucky. Kentucky is kind of like Mark Stoops. It's been average in its history. Now they claim one national title, Bear Bryant's big year, 1950. Kentucky claims that as a national championship, even though they lost a regular season game to the Tennessee Vols, but went on to win an Orange Bowl against Oklahoma, which was the number one team in the country when Bear Bryant's team got that big victory back in the uh, probably 1951 Orange Bowl when that was played. Kentucky, as far as SEC goes, they have not done too well in terms of championships. They have claimed two conference titles in their history, that 1950 season, where they were definitely the champion with an 11 and 1 overall, 5 and 1 conference record. I think Tennessee was 4 and 1 that year, so statistically, even though they lost to Tennessee in head to head matchup, Bear Bryant's team was declared the SEC champion in 1950. Fran Kersey's 1976 Kentucky Wildcat football team went 9 and 3, 5 and 1 in SEC play, and they're considered a co-champion back in 1976, but certainly we know about Kentucky's futility, and we would hear more about it if Vanderbilt wasn't also in the SEC East. You'd hear more about Kentucky's problems on the gridiron through the years, and we know how big of a deal other sports are at Kentucky, but Kentucky puts thousands and thousands of fans into Kroger Field, the once proud Commonwealth Stadium. This is a stadium with over 60,000 blue and white clad souls cheering on UK. So Kentucky takes football seriously, and they're going to take it seriously this year when Coach Stoops comes in, again, ready and poised to take his team back to a double-digit standing at the end of the day and perhaps give Georgia, give Florida a run for the money, maybe can knock off one or or both of those teams and really shock the world with Kentucky football 2021. This has been a brief look at Kentucky football for 2021. We will tell you more about UK's football history. We'll tell you more about their famous alumni of the University of Kentucky. We'll discuss traditions of UK. All that is coming up in Hour 3. Hour 2, a special extra feature here today. We're going to also let you know about the Oklahoma State Cowboys as we'll walk through their 2021 schedule and discuss OSU's traditions and more, all that mixed in with UK. We're doing a little double duty as we had one of our shows last week get pushed back. So that's why we're playing a little catch up here on the Y'all Show. But today, again, proud to tell you about 
the University of Kentucky and Mark Stoops' forthcoming season, which gets underway in just less than two weeks against Louisiana Monroe. When the All Show comes back, as we always do, so much great information. And on the other side of this timeout, we'll let you know about some Southern history that's going on, including the burning of Washington and the march on Washington. That's ahead on Talk with a Southern Accent. We're going to talk a little Southern history, if y'all don't mind. I'm John Rawl, back with the Y'all Show. Got a special guest in studio that's going to be on with us at the start of the next hour. Our Takapola storyteller, Jerry Short, is back, and he's going to coast us on through to the house for the rest of the show when he drops by in just a few minutes. He's over there getting stretched and getting worked up, ready to come on and do his Southern thing. That's coming up in just a few. Let's wrap up Hour 1 with a quick look at some Southern history as we here on the Y'all Show love to talk a little history and more. And Washington, D.C. is the theme of this week's Southern history. It was this week back in 1814. Y'all remember that? We didn't take a little trip in 1814. If you were in Washington, D.C., you didn't take a little trip. You got burnt down because it was August 24th that the burning of Washington happened in the year 1814, British troops marching into the brand new nation's capital set fire to the U.S. Capitol. A lot more than happened back on January 6th, by the way. They also burnt down the President's Mansion, now known as the White House, and burnt down other local landmarks. The fire devastated the Capitol's Senate wing, the oldest part of the building, and just an embarrassing thing. Oddly enough, that happened in 1814, And look what's happening right now in a place called uh, Afghanistan. How weird is that? But also earlier this year with the uh, supposed riot in Washington, D.C. of 2021. Burning of Washington happened this week. Also this week in Washington, D.C., we'll take you back to 1963. August 28th, the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom, simply known as the March on Washington, That happened with Dr. Martin Luther King being the final speaker, and that's where he had his I Have a Dream speech, which he called for an end to racism. Oddly enough, this march was organized not by Dr. King, but by Philip Randolph and Bayard Rustin. Both were into the civil rights movement of that time and into religious organizations. The estimate of the crowd, the most widely cited estimate of the crowd size, 250,000 people. I thought it was more than that you've ever seen the pictures but this march credited with helping pass the 1964 civil rights act and it was on this day in 1963 not 68 a lot of people think of 
Martin Luther King, of course, that was the year he was killed, 68, but it was 63 when John F. Kennedy was still alive that the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom happened. Speaking of the Civil Rights era, it was this week in 1955, Emmett Till was found dead in Mississippi as he was killed and went to trial. The gentlemen who were on trial walked away free. While Emmett Till in 1955 was visiting relatives near Money, Mississippi, he supposedly whistled at 21-year-old Carolyn Bryant. And in the end, some people evidently tracked him down and he ended up being killed. His body found in the Tallahatchie River a few days later. And that was one of the first cases of, I guess, the killing of a black person in the South becoming an international story, as this was back in 1955. And that happened this week. Also this week, the birth of Elizabeth Ann Seton. She was born in what was called New York City, province of New York, British America. She was born before the Revolutionary War. She was born as a British subject. Elizabeth Ann Seton would go on ultimately to move to Maryland where she established the first Catholic girls' school in Emmitsburg, Maryland. And she also founded the first American Congregation of Religious Sisters, the Sisters of Charity. And Elizabeth Ann Seton is known as the founder of America's parochial school system. And after her death, which she died in 1821, she became the first American to be canonized by the Catholic Church as she was canonized in 1975. Again, this lady who ended up being such a instrumental person within the Catholic Church and canonized Elizabeth Ann Seton, born this week in 1774. This week in 1862, one year after a battle was held on the same ground, it was the second battle of Bull Run in Manassas, Virginia, the second Bull Run, second battle of Manassas. And just like in 1861, this was a Confederate victory in northern Virginia, as Thomas Jonathan Stonewall Jackson captured the Union Supply Depot at Manassas Junction and a big Confederate win. The overall commander was Robert E. Lee. He went up against Union Commander John Pope in this battle. And even though the Confederates were outnumbered by 27,000 soldiers, they walked away victorious on this day as they had 7,000 casualties compared to the Yankees, 14,000 casualties on this day in the Second Battle of the Bull Run. Speaking of Stonewall Jackson, did you realize that Lyndon Baines Johnson was born and died in Stonewall, Texas? And that town was named after Jonathan Thomas Jonathan Stonewall Jackson, Confederate General in the Civil War. Lyndon Baines Johnson was born this week in 1908, the 36th president of the United States. Born in Stonewall in 1908, he died there at his ranch in Stonewall, Texas, at the age of 64 in 1973. And that's some Southern history that we're throwing out here, wrapping up our first hour of talk with a Southern accent. And so much about this part of the world is filled with history of all types. Much of it has so many twists and turns who would have ever thought that this so-called liberal president, Lyndon Baines Johnson, was born and died? I mean, that, that alone, the fact that he was born and died in the same little town, a little strange. But then to know that that was named after a Confederate general, pretty weird, pretty weird. 
when we come back on the Y'all Show, we got a whole nother hour. And you know what's not weird? Jerry Short. Jerry is squared away, and he's squared away to join us right here at the Dixie Cafe for the start of Hour 2. We'll look at some more headlines. We'll talk about Oklahoma State. Jerry's been to Stillwater a few times. We'll get his take on the pokes, but we'll also talk about other things that the Taco Polo story teller has up his very short sleeve. That's coming up, and he'll ride with us all the way till the end of this Monday edition of Talk with a Southern Accent. Hang on. We're back with Hour 2 right after this. We're back on talk with the accent on everything across the southeast. General John Rawl, joined by Jerry Short, the Takapola storyteller. And he's with us here at the Dixie Cafe for not only this hour, but hour number three. Hello, Takapola storyteller. Hey, John. How's it going? Man, it's good. Good to have you back here with oh, us. Oh, it seems like just a few hours ago that I was here last week, don't it? It's a special treat when the Takapola Storyteller is in the house, and that is what we have here today. If you want to come on by and shake Takapola Storyteller's hand, you're welcome to do that. You also can text us or call us, 803-816-1170. That is how you can get in touch with the show all about Dixie. Coming up here in hour two today, Jerry, we got some headlines that we'll be sharing also, we'll tell you about the Oklahoma State Cowboys as the Pokes and Kentucky both are on deck here today. All and we right. are featuring both of those, getting you ready for the start of college football. We got some college football games coming up this weekend. This weekend? Six of them. I guess this is Labor Day already. Well, it? almost. It's almost yeah. Labor Day. We have that to tell people. And then later in the hour, in addition to tell, talking about the Pokes from Stillwater, we'll discuss with Jerry Short. His Takapola storytelling fame. How oh, man. he does this job each week. I have so many people stop and tell me, man, who is that Jerry Short fellow? He does such a good job. I want to know more about him. Well, here's your chance, y'all. Y'all, I'm here. So, uh, Takapola, you'd have to live there to know about <laughs> it. I mean, it's, it's, one, it's one of a kind, but a good kind. All right. We'll talk about with all that with Jerry here, Hour 2, plus Melissa Rhodes. She's got a southern accent on good old southern food. All that's coming up here on Hour 2. Hour 3 today, we'll continue to talk about Kentucky and Oklahoma State in terms of college sports. We'll give you a southern sports blast and more headlines plus a review or more of a preview of what we've got coming up here on the Y'all Show going forward the rest of the week. Let's dive into some news headlines of the day as Jerry Short is with us to kind of give us his take on what's going on across the southeast. Jerry, you have worked in and been around Humphreys County in Tennessee in the past. You yes, know, sir. You know that area yes, around, around Waverly and more. Yes, sir. And right now, well. the, the latest death toll, over 20 in Humphreys County, Tennessee, with this awful... 24-hour period, they've had these nearly two dozen people found dead already with some 10 to 15 people still missing. And this is the largest flood or the most deadly flood Middle Tennessee's ever seen. Oh, it has it's just be, been awful. Had to be right up there with Youngstown, Ohio. I mean, it just don't happen like that. And, you know, that country up there is pretty high, but it's not mountainous. You know, they got some really steep rolling hills around Waverly. And uh, but it's nothing like that. It had to come down 
it had to come down in buckets to uh, to rain like it did. I think I saw seven. Did I see seventeen inches of rain? Is that? Possible? I think it was. I saw something like that, and, and they were shooting for twenty there at one time. I heard them say, but I don't think they got that many. But can you imagine seventeen inches of rain? Not in a 24-hour period. Yeah. And a lot of people weather-wise were focused in on the Northeast this weekend with Honoré appearing on uh, on New York's Long Island and Rhode Island and Connecticut. This was a – I don't even know if one person's been attributed to a death in that. No, no, story. I don't think so. I think what they had, uh, four, five, six inches of rain, maybe eight was the most in one place. Winds 35, 45 miles an hour. You know, that's not even a real hurricane on Gulf Coast. Yeah. And there's not a big river going through the town of Waverly. No. They have a, a, a sizable creek, if you will, that passes through. That's not all that far from the Tennessee River. No, it's not. I mean, it runs on into Tennessee River to down on down that way. But, Trace uh, Creek is what flows yeah. through there. It's not very big. It's a little rocky. Uh, like I said, the slopes are not that, uh, not that steep. It's not that steep country. Uh, matter of fact, I've... Uh, been in a lot of those creeks up there. White Oak Creek kind of runs into it from the north side. Speaking of, of that, speaking about Humphrey County, Tennessee, and creeks, tell people since they just are amazed each and every time you come on here. I think you're going to tell me it was Humphreys County, Tennessee, that you used the creeks of that county as a shower or bath for quite some time, correct? Why, certainly. I mean, okay. how did you do you, that? If you could see how clear their water is. And it passing over those rocks and that sand. And there was one especially called White Oak Creek that I just mentioned. And it was under uh, Highway 13 Bridge. And it was an old home place up there that no one lived in. So I could park up there at the old home place and uh, exchange clothing or something of that nature. And at this time, you had a pretty good job. You made, oh, a, I was most doing people great. would say, yeah. you were fairly rich if you well, will I, you know i don't I, know I, I, i'd say far, you were rich you'd fairly you, i was doing i was doing better than i'm doing today yes just say that. And, and you just love that rugged lifestyle so you, oh, yeah, you would get out there and take a bath in the in the hey, creek when you mention taco polo you got to mention coming up rugged you know i've told you that i was raised in a tent and then sharecropper homes after that so uh no that's just you know we drew all our water from whales and we took our baths and tubs, and, and our water one here is, is, is pretty and clean as that uh, water up around Waverly. But I'm sure it wasn't pretty and clean uh, day before yesterday when yeah. that thing hit like it did. Again, people it was terrible. looking out for survivors, trying to track down. The Humphreys County Sheriff's Department has sort of a clearinghouse for people to go and register, register and let people know that you're okay, if you are okay. So an awful event. The governor, Bill Lee, visiting Waverly today in this tragic story and i know there's also lots of efforts to raise money for funerals at this point i mean that's i'm sure that probably like most small towns may may have been one possibly two funeral homes in waverly tennessee uh probably just one it might be two but uh waverly is not that big of a town i know John. i mean you know i'd say if it's 2500 would be probably my estimate right and now. as much as i've lived in and, and respect and, and admire not just Tennessee, but Middle Tennessee. Mm-hmm. I've never been to Waverly. Well, you just get off the interstate off of I-40 there to Loretta Land. I've, been, I've been there. You go up 13. I know you go up there, but and, it's just not somewhere I've gone because it's a little it's, bit, you kind of have to be wanting to go you there. You got to want to go there. 
or you want to just keep on going north till you get into Kentucky when you leave there? I've never had that desire. Well, I mean, if you had to go to Fort Campbell like I had to a few times, mm-hmm. that's a shortcut across to Fort Campbell, Kentucky. I see. I see. You well, come in the back door of Fort Campbell. Oh, going that way? Uh-huh. All right. Well, I also know in that area they got McEwen, Tennessee, which that's right. has a Irish festival, I think. Or yeah, I had my like grandson there one time, and we got on one of these uh, crazy rides. In McEwen? Yeah, and I had to let... Uh, I think we were going up to uh, the Bell Witch's Cave up oh. at Adams, Tennessee. Oh, okay. And so uh, we stopped. They was having that festival. And we stopped, and I got on one of these octopus-like rides, and they wouldn't stop, and they'd go backwards and forwards. I finally had to lay down and let him go. <laughs> I, told him, I told him, won't you go on and get your milkshake or something? I'm going to lay here a while and rest. But I was sick. <laughs> but anyway... Uh, that's when I think of that, I think of that. And there's another little old town in there that's got an Irish festival also that we stopped in. And Jerry, another sad thing to point out today. We we had a couple of deaths, not from the flooding in Middle Tennessee, but some deaths of notoriety from this past weekend. Right. We had three people make headlines with their passage from Middle Tennessee along one of them was conservative talk show host Phil Valentine. I heard that. Have, have uh, you ever heard him on the radio? Oh, yeah, I've heard Phil. And, you know, Phil was a, a great guy. He, gosh, he's been around 40 years, I bet. Maybe longer than that. I don't know. Well, back in know. the 1990s, one of the FM radio signals in Nashville, 99.7, became a flamethrower of a talk station, WWTN. Yeah. And it is the station that Phil Valentine was on. It's the station that Dave Ramsey got his start and Phil Valentine, after about a month fighting COVID-19, died at the age of 61 over the weekend. Didn't his brother also have it? No, his brother, not that I know of, but his brother did come out and essentially tell people to go get vaccinated. Mm. Phil Valentine had been an anti-vaxxer for quite some time, and unfortunately he died this past weekend, this conservative talk radio host. Yeah, he was conservative. I think... I think I've heard Earl Pitts, the famous Earl Pitts that uh, Burbank did out of Cincinnati is syndicated. I believe I've heard him on Phil Valentine. Okay. Well, that was one of the Middle Tennessee passages from the weekend, also dying in Franklin, Tennessee over the weekend, the storyteller, Tom T. Hall. Tom T. Hall. Yep. Watermelon wine and all that good stuff. That's right. You know, he really was good. He, I was turned on to him by a friend of mine in the uh, Special Forces. And I really didn't listen to country music that much. But, boy, he loved Tom T. Hall. And he got me listening to Tom T. Hall. And he could tell a story musically as good as anyone ever could. He did, with songs like The Year Clayton Delaney Died. Oh, that was good. And Old Dog's Children and Watermelon Wine, the song you were talking about. I love The Week in a Country Jail. That was a good good song that Tom T. Hall. He did some good stuff. He died at the age of 85. 85. Goodness gracious. He also wrote Harper Valley PTA. Oh, I didn't know he wrote that. Mm-hmm. Tom T. Hall, Kentucky native, passing away. Also, another Kentuckian died over the weekend as half of the Everly brothers. Don Everly died at age 84. So that's the second half, right? Yes. That's what I was thinking. His brother Phil died back in 2014 at the age of 74. Mm. Tell yeah. me about the Everly Brothers as a fella growing up in that late 1950s. How did they compare to Elvis? Oh, well, no one compared to Elvis. All right, well, but, okay. Uh, you know, what a dumb question. A, I'm sorry. As a, as a group, uh, 
they were really good. I mean, you know, they were, they would, uh, you could do the bop to the Everly Brothers. Matter of fact, that's about the time the bop come out. And we did, were practicing. Did the Everly the Brothers, even though people like you loved Elvis, did, were they just different enough that it was still cool to like them? And oh, Elvis? yeah. I mean, we liked everybody, really. Did you? You just liked Elvis just a little bit more. And, uh, you know, we liked Jerry Lee Lewis, you know. And uh, we liked Bo Diddley. I mean, it's just all kind of people we like. So. Speaking of the killer, did you realize he has put out a statement about the loss of Everly Brothers member Don Everly? Jerry no, Lee know. Lewis what put out say? a statement saying, The Everly Brothers are integral to the fabric of American music. With my friend Don's passing, I am reflective reflective on a life full of wonderful friends, spectacular music, and fond memories. There's a lot I can say about Don, what he and Phil meant to me both as people and as musicians, but I am going to reflect today. Those from words from Jerry Lee Lewis on the Everly Brothers member Don Everly dying at age 84. How about the words coming from the killer Jerry Lee Lewis? Hey, it sounded pretty impressive. It didn't say he didn't miss a beat, did he? I think he's and got I bet it. he didn't have a teleprompter. I think it just came straight out of Jerry Lee's mouth. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing what there's kind of creativity coming out of DeSoto County, Mississippi these days. Jerry Lee, by the way, is 85. I actually thought he might be a little older 85. Than is he the older of the two uh, cousins? Don't know. Don't know. But They're Jerry, all pretty close. Well, he's 85. He'll be turning 86 September 29th. And as far as his cousins go, you're talking about uh, the Reverend... Jimmy Swagger. Swagger, and then Mickey Gilly. Mickey Gilly. Uh, let's see here if I can pull it up. Mickey Gilly is currently 85. 85. He's, he's already had his 85th birthday, born in 36. God. And then as far as Swagger, Swagger is 86 already. Golly. Born they, in March of 35. To be cousins, they were just stacked right in there together, weren't they? That's right. And that's something right with Faraday, Louisiana. And Natchez, too. And Natchez, yeah. that's where Jerry Lee got discovered, yep. playing a club over at Natchez on the Hill. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> crazy times, crazy times yeah. back then. All right, let's also tell you about what else is going on across the southeast today. Seven, a total of 75 doctors in Florida staged a walkout in protest of unvaccinated COVID-19 patients. I don't know if you saw the news on this or not, Jerry. But no, I missed it. These 75 doctors in Palm Beach County with a walkout today to protest the number of unvaccinated COVID-19 patients that are flooding their hospital in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. Just before sunrise today, these 75 doctors stepped outside their hospitals and offices to stand together and encourage the community to get vaccinated. As one of the doctors there, Dr. Rupesh Daira, said, we are exhausted, our patients and resources are running low, and we need your help. Well, that's one way to get the help, just walk out. Well, and, Is that yeah, malpractice? Uh, yeah, I would think so if I was one of the patients that needed to be treated and they had to ship me out somewhere else. But uh, I also heard today that, hey, they're begging for nurses. If you're a girl now, or a boy, since we have a lot of boy nurses now, Mm -hmm. if you're coming out now, that's the profession to be in. You know, don't get in something that's not going to be here for a long time. We're going to be stuck with this virus situation, I think, for years. You know, it may not be the same one like we got Delta coming in now. You know, next time it could be Alpha. You just don't know. You know, something's coming behind it, I'm afraid. You know, you're not trying to be a worry, worry ward, but, uh, hey, those things seem to be moving pretty fast. And, 
you know, I don't know if they're airborne or how they are. They, they, you know, they act like they got to be airborne, of course, or you wouldn't wear a mask. True. Jerry Short is with us. He is the Takapola Storyteller. We will take a break, come right back, and quickly tell you about Oklahoma State as the Cowboys and Kentucky are both our featured schools today as we're on a 44-city tour across the South getting you ready for the start of college football. That's up next on Y'all. South and college football have enjoyed a love affair for more than 150 years. And the Y'all Show is getting y'all ready for the biggest year college football's ever had. We're on a 44-city tour of Dixie's great college football teams. John Rawl is getting you ready when the toe meets leather Labor Day weekend. So get your chin strap on and get ready for today's Southern College Football Tour stop. Here's Johnny. Ed McMahon is at you. Hey, y'all. Hey, we're talking about the South here on the show all about the South. And today we're taking you to Stillwater as Oklahoma State and the Kentucky Wildcats are both featured on our tour across the South, getting you ready for the start of the 2021 football season. I'm going to tell you about what's going on with Coach Gundy's pokes and their schedule and more. But right now, enjoy the sounds of Oklahoma State's marching band i like this sound they 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 got a good thing going in stillwater enjoy this And now my favorite part of OSU's game day music. I like this song here. Enjoy. I guess when you have an alumnus like T. Boone Pickens, you can have three different fight songs like Oklahoma State has there. Welcome back. It's Y'all Talk with the Southern Accent. John Rawl joined by the Takapola Storyteller to talk a little OSU. We'll discuss OSU's traditions and famous alumni alongside the Kentucky Wildcats when we get into our three today. But Jerry Short, you've had a chance to live in Oklahoma. You've had a chance to go over and hang out in Stillwater and more. And tell me about what your take is on how Oklahoma State fans are and kind of how they fight and scratch and claw to, to get recognized across college football. Well, you know, you take Oklahoma State and, uh, of course, you threw the name out there a while ago, T. Boone Pickens. Yeah. And uh, everything you go by, it's got his name on it. You go by his brick stadium and it's bricked up. looks like a uh, – well, it, look, it looks like uh, 
Sears Tower in Chicago or something is so big and massive. But, uh, you know, it helps to help have alumni like that. But the fans out there, I don't think they're quite as adamant as they are in uh, LSU or, or... What about OU compared to OU? Do you- I think OU's probably a little bit stronger, their fan base is at Norman. And uh, and I've been over there a few times, too. And if you think about all the coaches I had. Now, I really like the coach they got at Oklahoma State now. Gundy? And, uh, yeah, Gundy Do you really know he's good. entering his 14th season? I know it. And, you know, he's had a chance to go to a lot of places. Yes, and he's kind you of know? teased. He's, he's he, threatened to go to Tennessee before. He does. He does. He teases. But it's a good college town. You know, they've got a couple of good golf courses right there almost in town. Good golf school. Mm-hmm. A couple of national championships. I know. They do. Oklahoma State has one national championship, they claim, back in 1945. I tell you, OSU, I think at that time called Oklahoma A&M, must have been the center of college athletics because they claim a national championship in football in 1945, and I think they won back-to-back basketball championships in that same time period. And probably, yeah, and they've been really good in basketball, but they they probably have some wrestling uh, championships also. What do you know about that? I know they love it out there. <laughs> they fill up these high schools with it. I mean, it's a bigger high school sport out there than football is in some parts of our part of the world. Hmm. So they really, they've had people in the, uh, this won uh, gold medals in the Olympics. Yeah. And I think they had two from one town that won in 1960. I know the Olympics were just held in Tokyo. Unfortunately, they don't give gold medals for college football. So Oklahoma State this year under Coach Gundy, the former Oklahoma State quarterback turned head coach there in Stillwater. They start off their season against the Bears of Missouri State. Now, that ought to be a good game because it will be at Boone's Pickens, Boone Pickett Stadium on September 4th. And the reason this one is of note is, first of all, Missouri State in Springfield, not all that far from, Spring, from no, Stillwater. No, it's across the corner there to, to Tulsa. Do you know who's coaching Missouri State? I'll have to complete it ignorant on that. Who? Bobby Petrino. Bobby Petrino. Mr. I, motorcycle so rider. He has appeared in the area anyway, <laughs> right? He hadn't got far to go to go down to Arkansas from where he's located. Not, no, no, he doesn't. What is that, old Southwest Ar- uh, Missouri State? Yeah, they're just okay. now. They okay. dropped the Southwest. Yeah, okay. Missouri State Bears are the opening game in Stillwater September 4th. Then they got a really good game, a return game from last year. The Golden Hurricane of Tulsa come over for a game on September 11th. The Pokes will be at Boise State on September 18th, and then they open up. It's all Big 12 play going forward after September 18th. September 25th, Kansas State comes in to Boone Pickens. Then the Baylor Bears come in October 2nd. A game at the Traders, Austin, Texas, is where the Pokes will be on October 16th when they take on the Texas Longhorns on the 40 acres. They'll be in Ames to take on the resurgent Iowa State Cyclones October 23rd. KU and Oklahoma State get together for homecoming on October 30th at Stillwater's Boone Pickens Stadium. The Cowboys will be in Morgantown to take on West Virginia on November 6th. They'll take on TCU in Stillwater on November 13th. They travel to West Texas to take on the Red Raiders of Texas Tech on November 20th. And then Bedlam, November 27th. The Oklahoma Sooners come in for a game in Stillwater to wrap up the regular season. How many wins do you see there out of those 12 for Coach Gundy's Cowboys? I believe they'll pick up at least nine or ten. You think? I really do because I got confidence in him. And uh, how many do you have at home? Seven? Uh, I think they got seven. I think they had seven at home. I'll give them five of those. Okay. And I believe they can pick up at least 
three or four more in a they, row. They always seem to, to do well, and then they have that one chance to take it to drop off. a wonderful level. Usually it's just all you got to do is beat mm-hmm. Oklahoma. They're they're arch rival. That's harder. That's harder thing done than said. In uh, years where they know. definitely are better than Oklahoma, yeah. they always seem to <laughs> choke. choke. Yeah. And even at games at home, mm. I think they've only won maybe twenty percent of the games against Oklahoma. Probably and that might be pushing. Probably pushing it. That's what. It, that's what I was going to say. Because uh, look, when they play Oklahoma, these Oklahoma people. I mean, we go back to one. And I'm getting pretty old, but we go back to when I was a young boy. They won 40 straight then with Bud Wilkerson. Then they come back and win 40 straight again. So, uh, you know, you're talking Who'd about a tradition. To? Uh, to knock the 40 straight out. Yeah. I think they lost to uh, in a bowl game on that first 40. That would have been in the 50s. Come on, you're supposed to know this. Stuff, well, right? I know I'm supposed to know They're it. probably lost to somebody out of the Southwest Conference. I think they were playing in the Orange Bowl, I thought. When they lost that uh, 41st game with Bud Wilkerson. But, uh, uh. Are they the ones that lost to Kentucky? No. My, uh, no, I don't think. Okay. Kentucky played in the Orange Bowl. Somewhere. Kentucky did play in the Orange Bowl back in those days a couple of times. They played, uh, well, I said a couple of times. They didn't They didn't go a lot. Bear Bryant left up there. Bear Bryant took them to, uh, he took them to a couple of bowl games, didn't he? Took Kentucky. Since you were talking about Kentucky earlier. Yeah. Yeah, I know. He, he took them to a couple of bowls. This year, the Pokes under quarterback Spencer Sanders. So they have to reload after losing some quality playmakers from 2020, including Tylen Wallace and Chuba Hubbard, who's now a Carolina Panther. So they got to reload there on offense for the Pokes. Defensive-wise, I think they're likely to be just as good as they've been in recent years. Under Gundy in recent years, when you talk about this coach that Jerry has a lot of faith in, in 2020, they did go 8-3 and three and won the Cheez-It Bowl. Prior to that, they had an eight-win season in 2019. Remember, this is a program that had three straight 10-game win seasons back from 2015 to 2017. Had a great 2015-year game. They went down to New Orleans and took on a Mississippi Landshark program, at that time led by Hugh Freeze, and they lost that Sugar Bowl game. They could have ended up having, what, an 11-2, and two, the best Gundy maybe had ever had. 2011, they claimed that as an unofficial national championship. 2011? Yeah, they ended up being <clears throat> ranked in the final ranking number three. They were 12-1 and one that year. Their lone loss, gosh, to huh. Iowa State. Iowa they State. lost that one in double overtime, 37-31. That's a year where they had a rare victory over Oklahoma, and then they beat Stanford in the Fiesta Bowl, and they finished that year as they claim it as an unofficial national championship, 2011. Oklahoma State, the Cowboys, again, have that lone national championship that they do claim as a national championship. Way back. 1945. Hour number three today, we will tell you more about OSU as a university. We'll discuss some of their famous alumni and also talk about some traditions you'll find when you're at T. Boone Pickens Stadium and there for a game day. You can uh, get your guns up, if you will, on a game day in Stillwater. All that is coming up here on the discussion of all things Oklahoma State and Kentucky on today's Y'all Show. When we come back after this break, we will continue talking to our Takapola storyteller. His name is Jerry Short, and we're going to have a great time catching up with some things going on in the world. I know he's excited about that. That is just ahead on Talk with a Southern Accent. 
right, we are back at the Dixie Cafe. We are the Y'all Show, talk with an accent on everything Southern. And we got a guy with a really good Southern accent joining me here. It's the Takapola storyteller, the Takapola kid, Jerry Short. Jerry, back here with us in the flesh. If you want to get involved with Jerry and or the Y'all Show, our number... 803-816-1170. You can text or call. We'll take either one at this point. Jerry, hope your week's gone good since we saw you last. Well, it's been fast and quick, and uh, like I said, when the first game on today, uh, gosh, it always seems like yesterday I was here. Maybe it was. But, uh, Maybe we just hey. both got into like a, a freezer and got frozen for I a couple of days. I think we did. I think we cocooned. It's kind of like, you know, it's... Uh, things that have been going on we've kind of been in a warped world we have and that is the perfect way to set up what i want to talk to you about you know i hate to break everybody's kind of guess or kind of prediction of how we do things here at the y'all show we don't have long lengthy meetings of production we don't plan things out oftentimes and so jerry i'm about to throw something on you i came up with as a discussion point that i think is very apropos and that is, since we talked, we got into some modern politics last week, especially with the fall of Kabul and what's going on in Afghanistan. We even had some social media interaction when we posted our interview yeah. that you can go I'm, to the y'all.com page on Facebook. Well, we had one of our viewers who wasn't very fond of us. No, what did he say? What was the word? Uh, this was not fit for public consumption, I believe. <laughs> it was something similar to that. Yeah. So if you're listening out there, how you doing? I hope you have a good day. Yes. Well, here we are, part two of that. Although... I want to take it away from just Afghanistan. Jerry, we're going to get rather intellectual here. Oh, the, you were going to have to give throw me a dictionary. Yeah. Here. All right. My thought that I want to get you, your take on, you're the Takapola storyteller. You're the guy that's been all over the world. I want to get your take on how this shapes up. We know that we got an absolute disaster on our hand currently in Af- Afghanistan. So, Jerry, I want you to be the world's spokesperson right now on the Y'all Show. Okay. And I'm going to ask you, what is the end game for each of these countries? What are these countries, if you were leading them, if you really knew what they were thinking, what is it they really want across the world? So pick a country. Okay. Well, across the country, across, across the, the whole world. world. Across the world. Let's just go with. Uh, we'll start with Afghanistan. Now well, that, that we've had a Germany, regi- regime change, yeah. what do you think in, deep down? The folks in Afghanistan, what do they want? The Taliban now, what do they really want? I tell you, you know, we we thought we were changing their opinion about world belief and about human nature. But uh, after 20 years, maybe we had changed a few of them. Or maybe they just liked some of the benefits they were getting from them. However, it it looks like it reverses back to where it was before. I can't see where there's going to be much change from where it was 40 years ago. Okay. You know, to me, that's what it looks like now. You know, you go door to door over there, and what are you going to find? Looks like you're going to find a lot of American goods over there now. Yeah. You're going to find a lot of American wealth. Do you think think the Taliban, or as Joe Biden calls them, the Taliban? Taliban. It's funny how Joe Biden comes up with Taliban, and Obama would always call it Pakistan. Yeah, they have a... A few little differences there, but they're pretty close to the They're same. the only people I've ever heard call yeah. it the Taliban in Pakistan. Yeah, if I'm liking presidents, I got them somewhere near the bottom, both of them. Yeah. And so, so do you think the, the Taliban-led Afghanistan, are they going to try to 
move on beyond their borders? Are they going to try to become, instead of a third-world country, maybe a second-world country? Well, they're playing games with us now, I think. I think they're really playing some games with America because we have kind of acted like somebody that needed to have games played with us, the way we pulled out and not pulled out, what we've said we were going to do and what we hadn't done, the stuff we left on the runway, the stuff we left on all over the airports and what we have something like uh, nine military facilities in that country and now we only have the Kabul airport that we're using with one one runway mm-hmm. when we left an airport that we had built it's got two runways you could be getting two C-17s what out. happened to the other one? I'm, we gave, just walked off and just like we did the American Embassy you know we pulled our flag down before we left that's almost unheard of all right well this is more about other countries here as we talk okay. with our top right. poll storyteller let's not pick on us quite yet we'll get to america can't help but we're talking with jerry short right the taco polo storyteller about what's the end game for all these countries so let's go from a third world country in afghanistan to let's say what what deep down this you mentioned germany yep. what do you think germany really truly wants what i think germany wants i think germany was really in love with uh after we defeated Germany in World War II. I think they were really in love with the Marshall Plan. I think they, you know, like the way we kept Russia off of their back up in, across the Berlin Wall. I think all that fit their plan as we helped it fit their plan, as we paid for it, as our taxpayers paid for it. You know, Germany's kind of been like a stepchild to us, like most all of NATO. Yeah. You know, you can't just say Germany when you're talking. You're talking NATO, mm-hmm. you know, and you're talking a lot of countries, and you're talking a lot of countries that we've propped up. You know, let's just let's say let's go to Japan from Germany, okay? Let's we go. go to Japan, and we, when we go to Japan, what did we do? We put we we put our army in Japan and did not allow them to build an army of their own. What kind of what kind of money do you think that cost the United States over these years? I understand just Afghanistan has cost us two point five trillion dollars just in Afghanistan in 20 years. Now, hey, if you think about that and then spread that all over the world, what we've been doing, what are they thinking in South Korea today? Well, let's talk about some of these other countries. One of the things that what I'm ultimately wanting to gather after our intelligent, very knowledgeable discussion with the Takapola storyteller is what countries are putting it out there that we want to be a world power we want to be leaders of the world well of course we obviously we both know that russia's always in that category but are they uh, i don't consider them that now they may have the they may have the military might that we don't know about because we're we're busy destroying our nuclear warheads did they do the same thing when we had that treaty with them i doubt it okay what about china we know what they're doing. Do they want to be the leader of the world? Who, China? Yes. I think China wants to be the leader today. Okay. And uh, So th- that's their end game? I think that's their end game. I think they've got so many people, and I think they've got so much wealth now that we help them accumulate. You know, look, look, we got Walmart building up some big facilities over there. And they say, oh, that don't hurt us. Our facilities that we're building in China are the facilities that only the money spent on those in, in China will be used in China. So it won't affect us. The heck it don't affect us. You know, if we've got, if we've got Walmart facilities over there, is Walmart using exclusively 100% of all their products made in China? No. You know, supposedly we've got a few things made here. I think we've got some pillars in and sheets made in Minnesota. So let's, uh, they're probably selling a few of those over there. 
But uh, no, I, I really if, it worries me is about China. As China comes in here and they talk about Taiwan, they talk about the uh, they talk about the uh, China Sea. They kind of give a little warning to the Philippines. They give a little warning to everybody around. They give a little warning to anybody in that part of Asia. And hey. They're not just—they're not just playing, and they're having some war games right now. You're aware of that? I know they're mad about Taiwan, and we know their end game is to take it over. Their end game is to take it back. They're not too coy about Uh it. Do they want to take over the Philippines? Do they want to take over Japan? I think they probably do. Japan wanted to take the Philippines, and I don't see any difference in them. I don't see any difference in China today, and the and Japan in uh, forty, well, thirty-seven, say. Or whenever they started their movement towards that situation, they invaded the Philippines the day after mm-hmm. Pearl Harbor. They sure did. They didn't wait. They didn't waste any time. It was already in their mind, mm-hmm. and it wasn't something that just uh, popped up. Yeah, it was something that was already pre-planned. So, what do they get out of it? If, if China does what you said, they want to be a world power. Are they going to, in your opinion, I'm, I'm getting real technical technical, technical. And, 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 and really out there i know uh, well, this I is definitely to... not fit for public consumption no this it's week. definitely not and do gotta... you think they want to come take over this country you this know country. i think they would kind of like to take this country over by owning it and owning a lot of it they already own a lot of minerals here you know they've, they've already got into our mineral mineral reserve and how can we let that in we had a secretary of state under under president obama that uh, cut a deal or two with China. Now, you worked in, when people say, this Jerry Short guy doesn't know what the heck he's talking That's about. Right. You've worked in mineral I've, acquisitions I've and things mineral, like that. I've been a land man and, for and, a major company. Pr- even prior to Trump taking office, right. that was yeah, that trending was, to be the, the mm-hmm. next big energy thing. Right. We know that Biden comes in and essentially shuts, shuts all that down almost instantly. So my question to you is are China is China buying into some of these natural gas companies? They're doing it now. They're buying these, in, they're buying into minerals, which includes natural gas. All they got to do is drop a dang well on top of it, and they got it. All right. Well, I know. At one time, you talked about the she- Hainsworth Shell or something. Well, yeah, the uh, Shreveport. Yeah, yeah. One of the biggest. Haines, yeah, Hainsworth Shell. Hainsworth Shell. Yeah, right. Which went on into Texas. And so come so who, who owns those rights? Who owns those rights at the time? There was about six mineral companies in there bidding against each other. They got the price way up high. A couple of them went broke during the process. So those that went broke, hey, Chesapeake, it, uh, their stock was 20 something dollars at one time. It dropped down to 25 cents. So where did that go to? China buys stuff every day. In That's what country. I was wondering. Yeah. So China, China, China's got a China could easily buy something from a t- company that folded like that. And this it, is not just Chinese businesses. This is the Chinese Communist Party. This is party. the Chinese Communist Party that are thinking ahead. And they're not, they're not just sitting there, sitting on an egg waiting on it to hatch. They're hatching it. And I'm going to tell you, you know, that's Taco Polo talk, talking about hatching an egg. But that's what they're well, doing. oddly you mentioned that, Jerry, and I don't want to make this just about China, but I didn't know until I was talking to my own family who are farmers, vegetable farmers, that Chinese companies are buying American farms left and right. They are buying anything they can buy in this country. And, we, of course, you know we give them some of our military base land Where? and property. California. We did that. Uh, Why would we do that? Why do we do a lot of stuff that we do? <laughs> Jerry, I want answers. <laughs> because we've had poor leadership. We've had poor leadership all the way from 
well, all the way. You know, Since it goes, George Washington. It goes way back, probably so. But I'm not going to get into Jefferson Davis. I'm not. No, that was a great leader there. We just <laughs> he just lost the war, but 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 anyway, no, I'm on. Uh, I think that uh, China has dug into this thing. I think they've got a, a big picture plan, and I don't think that they're going to just all of a sudden roll over and play dead for us because they're going to have too much of our assets, and it's going to be in their hip pocket. And how are we going to get out of it? Now you know we already owe them money. We've had to borrow money, but for some reason, Social Security, our older people that earn Social Security, need Social Security, may not ever see Social Security because we'd rather deal with China. Jerry, what is the end game for the United States of America going forward? Do we want to be the only superpower? Are we kind of okay doing like Russia's done in the last 20 years and backing up a notch? Well, no, I'm going to tell you, I think we always should be the superpower because I think if we're the superpower, we're defending smaller countries. I think we're def- defending your Costa Ricas. I think we're defending some countries in South America. I think we're defending Canada. If, as long as we've got the nuclear warheads that can take care of ourselves, now we can't just go out and whip these big Chinas with millions and millions of foot soldiers. You're not going to go out and do that. But do we in need to? In a conventional to? war? No, we don't need to, but we need to be able to say, you come over here or you mess with X, just going to be messing with us. We can take care of you. And the only way I think we can take care of them is if we are prepared uh, nuclear. And I know that's a that's an ugly word to say probably. But that's, that's our only option right now, yeah. I think. Jerry, do you think the European powers are okay with America still continuing to be the leader that it has been, although bloodied a little bit over these last couple of months? I think they're really disappointed right now. I think they may be a little bit worried. It, uh, we wouldn't come to their rescue if needed, which we always were able to do. And I'm not saying we're not still the greatest fighting force in the world, but we got to use what we got. We got to drop cluster bombs. We got to do. It's got to be collateral damage if you go into a war, and we got to be prepared to do that if that happens. If that happens, and you know, and I, I've been to a lot of military schools, and and that's I have to. I mean, you yeah, you definitely have because you <laughs> you uh, you're a graduate of the Citadel. And the Citadel. That's right. And uh, salute when you say that. It don't get much better than that. But now your military school is a little bit different from mine. Well, I mean, I've I've been to some, and you know they don't tell us to take the flag down and run, and then we'll come back later and get people. So you know I'm a little bit concerned about what we're turning out of as our military generals, not necessarily our people, but our generals. I think our fighters are ready to go. Let's prove it now. You know we're we're behind that wall. In in, in uh, Afghanistan, let's see if we can't get out there and, and open that perimeter up a little bit. Besides it being the wall at Kabul, and move it on back, it needs to be at least 50 mile radius. We need a perimeter to let our people get into the airport yeah. and get them out of there, and to get our people out first. And we don't need all this paperwork. All they should do have to do, you know, I know they think you need a, uh, they don't want you to have a, a card to vote or anything in America anymore. But our people over there definitely got should have passports and things that can ID them. I understand that maybe the Taliban is taking uh, taking some passports when they try to get to the perimeter of the airport and they can't get in from Americans. So uh, yeah, I, I, you asked the question that I think that uh, that we needed to be a power. You know, I don't want to dominate. I don't want to rule. I don't want to take over. We've never kept any land. You know, all the wars we've had been involved in, all the ones that we've been attacked, we hadn't kept their land. 
Uh, what about the Civil War? <laughs> outside of the continental United States <laughs> is what I was going to say. Now, inside the continental United States, we, we played dirty poo. But uh, we, we believed... We. As, we as America. Okay. But we uh, we believed in a scorched earth policy then. and We're going to have to have a, a scorched earth policy now in some of these other countries that uh, really, really, they... They, they think they can wait, and, and some of those countries can. You know, tomorrow doesn't matter. Let's wait a month. Let's wait a year. Let's wait 100 years. And not just the Civil War of the 19th century, but what American troops did with the American Indians. And oh, gosh. You know, I, I'm involved in this uh, trail of tears, and, and you know, I had a, I had a great-great-great-grandfather that was a chief of the Chickasaws, and when they moved them on the trail of tears, you know, you go over there now, and I've, I've visited and followed my ancestry, which I'm really proud of. And uh, he was the first chief uh, and the last elected chief of the Chickasaw tribe. And uh, uh, anyway, you go over there, and they have, and they don't say, hey, the Trail of Tears and end it there. Their monuments say the Trail of Tears and Death. Mm-hmm. So they feel like that they were really treated bad. And that that can happen to anybody if we don't, uh, if we're not prepared as a nation now that we're one nation, that we've got we've got to be the strongest nation in the world. Jerry Short, he is our PhD here. I don't know what exactly his PhD stands for. Cal 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 College or something. I don't know. Either. Cal College aspirant. Yeah. yeah, perhaps Jerry Short. Thank you for coming by with your analytical observation of the world today. Do you think this was fit for public consumption? You know, you took the words right out of my mouth, and uh, I think it was fit for public. So I don't know if I, I don't know if I explained it that way or not. But uh, you know, I let a little bit of my uh, inside outside, and uh, you know, it's kind of had me kind of upside turvy down and up well, and down. Well, you can go over there to the corner and get you a good swig of sweet tea. We're going to have you back on with us an hour or two. Everybody hang on. Melissa Rose is standing by after this quick timeout. She's going to wrap up hour number two with a southern accent on good old southern food. And we are the show that is a good old southern show. We're the Y'all Show. We'll be right back, y'all. Southern accent. Here's what's cooking in the South from y'all.com. I'm Melissa Rhodes. Foodies pay close attention to the annual awarding of the James Beard Foundation Awards, given to a select group of culinary professionals that propel America's food culture. Winners from the South include Outstanding Chef 2019 winner Ashley Christensen of Pool's Diner in Raleigh, North Carolina. 2018 Design Icon winner the American Restaurant in Kansas City, Missouri. And 2016 Outstanding Service winner The Barn at Blackberry Farm in Wallen, Tennessee. The 2021 James Beard Foundation Awards will be a no-awards event due to COVID-19. Stories of resilience and leadership will be a salute to the independent restaurant community, showcasing some of the organizations, leaders, and businesses that have made a significant impact in the food industry and their respective communities during the pandemic. Y'all can catch the mouth-watering live broadcast on Twitter September 27th at 8 p.m. Eastern. Recipes, tips, headlines, and more at y'all.com. And thank you, Melissa, for that very yummy report james beard award winners again this year doing something a little bit different make sure you write that date on the refrigerator also write down on that fridge that we got another hour of the show all about the south headed your way 
Jerry Short's going to stick around. It's going to be so much fun. We've got some sports information to pass along. More on the Kentucky Wildcats and Oklahoma State Cowboys and more headlines. This is Y'all, powered by y'all.com. How y'all doing? Jerry, how you doing? Golly, I'm doing good. I'm a little hoarse from all that last episode. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you got to put on your big boy boots when you come on to y'all show, Jerry, because you got to talk. We got three hours we do every day. That's a lot of talking. Except when we don't do our show every day. You need to pick up singing, man. That's a lot of talking. Yeah, most concerts for singers don't last three hours. No, they don't last. I've been to... A bunch of Elvis concerts. Yeah, and I was going to ask you, what was the duration of an Elvis concert? You know, he would stay sometimes and give, you know, he'd, he'd sing a couple more songs when he wasn't leaving. But usually when you heard the wrap-up, it was wrapping up. So I'm trying to remember he, what the wrap-up was. Did he go off the stage and come back? He did a few times, but not, he didn't all the time. Usually when he went off, he went off at full He left gallop. the building. Yeah, Elvis has left the building. <laughs> First said on the Louisiana Hayride. Is that right? Yeah. Did not know that. I'm going to have to go double-check you on that. All right. Don't double-check me on this. This is the show all about Dixie. I'm General John Rawls, CSA, certified Southern American. i got a fellow CSA in Jerry Short. He's sticking around here for our number two. We've got sports headlines to start this second hour. Plus, we'll tell you about the alumni and sort of the the basic snapshot if you will of the universities of kentucky and oklahoma state university those are our two featured school today as we're on this 44 college town tour getting you ready for the start of college football in just a matter of days we've got more headlines to pass along here in hour number two so stick around for that we still have to tell you in terms of our headlines today about stories like the biggest gift that I'm aware of in the history of the University of Tennessee, Martin. UT Martin getting a gift of nearly $80 million. $80 million. Yeah, that's not a bad paycheck for Ooh. the Skyhawks. That's Martin. UT Martin. Big, big gift. I'll tell you about UT Martin. I'll also tell you about the cantaloupe queen in South Carolina and the story about cantaloupes. And we have the breakdown of where cantaloupes are grown in the southeast there's only one two three five states that are listed as cantaloupe growing states in the south and we've got the breakdown of course the largest cantaloupe producing state in the country is south carolina no california oh that's why believe it or not california as much as we are all about the south yeah. We need California. Southern they, California. 75% of cantaloupes come from California. you got to be kidding. No wonder they need a few. I would say 75% of all of our food comes from California. Probably so. Yeah, of course, you know, they we want to divert the water now from these lakes out to the ocean to save some fish because that's going to kill the farmers on a lot of this stuff, too. You know, I'm sure uh, in Napa Valley they won't do that. I bet they get plenty of plenty of water up there i i don't know the exact stats but i did make that bold statement you're right if we didn't have california from a farm per perspective we would be really in trouble across this whole country so we have information on the cantaloupe queen coming up later on in our headlines from across the southeast and we'll wrap up today's third hour telling you about what's on the y'all show going forward 
the rest of the week. Let's go into some Southern sports news to start off this final hour of our y'all show. And, Jerry, we're just a couple hours away from the start of college football. We have about five or six games set up for this weekend. We have games kicking off at high noon Saturday. Nebraska and Illinois. Nebraska and Illinois. Memorial Stadium in Urbana-Champaign, or some call it Champaign-Urbana. Now, that would be in the same conference. That would be a Big Ten matchup. you wouldn't expect it. On Saturday, August 8th at 1 o'clock Eastern, noontime in, I guess that would be Central Illinois, the Illini and the Cornhuskers. In in Urbana-Champaign, Champaign-Urbana. Uh, if you come in on the west side of Savannah, east side of Savannah, if you come in on the west side of Champaign. Okay. Thank that's you. That's my trip way out I was just up there the other year. I got my picture taken outside their stadium. Dang. And, and, yeah. Who is their mascot now? I say Chief Illiniwick. Oh, that's who I say. But, but I, I, mean, don't, I don't think that. I don't think they have one. But oh, okay. To most Illini fans, I do believe that the, the yeah. Chief is still there, just like a certain colonel is still on patrol in Oxford. Mississippi, Nebraska, and Illinois this weekend. Former Arkansas, we were talking about Nebraska Bobby Petrino coaching this upcoming game for Oklahoma State. State. He's coaching against Missouri State or against Oklahoma State as Missouri State goes into Stillwater. While another former Razorback head coach is now coaching Illinois, Brett Belima, the guy who had he once, went back to the Big Ten. He, did, he was at Wisconsin before going to Hogland, and now Illinois has given him a chance to come in and clean up Lovey Smith's mess. And Illinois hosting Nebraska on Saturday. I think he fits better up there than he did down here. He wasn't uh, he wasn't prepared for this kind of offenses. Uh, and I, don't, I don't know, speed. but I like what he did. Oh, he did okay. I like yeah. his big boy football. I mean, that's, yeah, I that's too, fine. But he just didn't put it all together, and maybe they didn't give him time. A lot of it comes down to quarterbacks, and to my knowledge, Arkansas. Since going back to what was it, Matt Jones? Matt Jones. Back in around 2004, 2005. Yeah, you know, he wasn't a great quarterback, but he just kind of fell together for him. Yeah. You know, he was a big old tall boy. Sterner was a good quarterback for them, too. but Until he fumbled at Tennessee. Is that the game? Yep. And then they all turned on Sorry about Razorback fans. They Sorry turned about those on memories. UConn, they didn't even play football in 2020. They took the year off because of COVID. The Huskies are playing at Fresno State this weekend. Fresno State. Yep, CBS Sports Network with a call on that one from Bulldog Stadium in that same portion of California. We were just bragging on where the the, 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 the fruit basket, the, the, the bread basket of the country. Yeah. The Rainbow Warriors of Hawaii are going to be traveling to the Rose Bowl, UCLA and Hawaii with the game on ESPN middle of Saturday afternoon. I bet they've got the most expensive uh, – Budget for travel. They might. Am <laughs> I UCLA? Yeah, no, yeah, UCLA are, hey. are, are California. Yeah, I mean, give Hawaii credit. They've been doing it a long time. And they used to and still, I'm sure, have the same rule that if you go play them in Honolulu, that you get an extra game on your schedule. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Which, that's a good thing. Yeah. You know, a lot of people wanted to go to Hawaii. But uh, it takes a pretty to uh, play a game. You mean? Yeah, to play a game. It takes a it takes a pretty strong uh, alumni base to afford a trip to Hawaii for a football game. Usually, I know in the old days they would put Hawaii on your schedule if you were on probation. So if you knew you were going to be on probation like for two years, you would add Hawaii, and it was sort of like a bowl trip yeah, for all your count. fans. It didn't count, right? But it was like going to a bowl. Yeah. yeah. And I think uh, a team it was talking about a while ago. Was supposed to have played them when they was on probation, 
but they didn't for some reason. It was it was mentioned and brought up like it was almost scheduled. But uh, I think they pulled that. Uh, might have been because of a network situation where they also was on probation and couldn't play on TV. Well, I know as a kid, my favorite childhood team played Hawaii one of those years of the 1980s. And in the same season they had Hawaii on the schedule, they played a school called Pacific. And Pacific, which shut its football program yeah. down back in the 1980s, came into williams Bryce Stadium in Columbia, South Carolina, and defeated the South Carolina Gamecocks. They did? Pacific did? In about 1982. Mm. And, and so the Clemson fans all had a big joke oh, because yeah. that was a season where the Gamecocks were going to play Hawaii after they played Clemson. That's usually the final game of the season, but because they got that extra game, they went ahead and scheduled Hawaii the week after they played Clemson. And they they weren't going to a bowl that year, so that was going to be the final year. But after they lost to Pacific earlier in the season, the Clemson fans all had a good laugh. They said, oh, did you hear the Gamecocks aren't going to be playing Hawaii after all? <laughs> And the punchline is, no, I didn't know that. They can't go to Hawaii because they can't get over Pacific. <laughs> can't get over the Pacific. Yeah. And they didn't get over the Pacific yeah. Tigers who mm. shut down their program there in the 19... 19- they had a Jerry Clower on campus at Clemson, didn't he? Mm. I don't know. Oh, you, well, there's a lot, I mean, of, yeah. lot of... That's a good joke, though. Yeah, it is. And I'm, I'm trying to think. Um, the old 49ers coach, Bill... Walsh. Bill Walsh. He, yeah. I think his his tutelage came at Pacific, came at Pacific. before he went to One Stanford, I think. West Coast teams, yeah. I think that they, they actually have had a pretty good history in football, but for whatever reason, they just shut down football as some other schools, like Wichita I State. They had too many out there. What about Long Beach State? Didn't they? I think they <clears throat> I think. They quit, didn't they? they? I think so. I'm not sure. I saw them play uh, <clears throat> a local team in uh, Jackson, Mississippi in 71. Did they win? And I think... The, the local team did. Oh. They, they, that was the year they went on, I think, won 10 ball games. So they needed that one for the 10th probably. All right. Jerry, speaking of college football, sad news over the weekend. From the FCS ranks, the Southern Conference ranks, a Western Carolina Catamounts assistant coach, offensive line coach, John Peacock, has died from COVID-19. He was just 32 years old. He played collegiately at Valdosta State. He had worked as an assistant at Tusculum University as well as Valdosta State and Western Carolina University in Cullowee confirming the coach's death with a message posted on social media saying Peacock was a selfless hard worker who was always upbeat and humming a tune. Again, Western Carolina offensive line coach John Peacock dying from COVID-19 at just age 32. And he Mighty was, young. He was supposed to be getting married in the spring, and his fiance, who is a Floridian just like he was, he was a native of Gainesville, Florida. Their marriage was set for February, and now, unfortunately, this assistant coach wonder died. if he had been vaccinated. Don't know. I think he had been, I think, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I better take that back. I yeah. don't don't really know so much confusion so much heartbreak coming from COVID-19 sure looking is. forward to the day Jerry we don't have to talk about it yeah I wish you just around the corner but I'm afraid he's going to be with us a while yep and lastly a follow up to a story that happened over the weekend in Miami as Atlanta Falcons backup quarterback A.J. McCarron went down with an ACL tear he's out for the year and now Atlanta with only two healthy quarterbacks on the roster 
must make some moves. But the former Alabama Crimson Tide quarterback who led them to a national championship, his season of which he was on a one-year contract with the Atlanta Falcons, it's over with, unfortunately, for this year for A.J. McCarron. Do you remember him as a Crimson Tide quarterback? Oh, yeah. Pretty good, yeah. Pretty good quarterback. Yeah. Of course, anybody at Alabama is usually pretty good. I would think so. But remember, it wasn't all that long ago when no, an not. Alabama quarterback essentially meant you were a glorified ball hander offer because that's, right. that's what they did. They just ran the ball. I know. Well, they got a different coach now. You know, this guy they got now, he – This guy? Just this uh, king of a coach. Yeah. Uh, he, he's liable to pull anything. And you heard what Donald Trump said about him. No. Um, Donald Trump said, and I'm talking to Tommy Tuberville, and he tells me he's going to run for governor of Alabama. Senator. Uh-uh. Yeah, Senator, I'm sorry. He said. He, he might be running for governor, too. Next time. But he said, uh, how do you think you're going to get people that play from the Alabama fans to vote for you, uh, Coach Tuberville? You beat them six times at Auburn. It's no way. And he said, he said Coach Tuberville said, yeah. But look who I gave him as their new head coach. Because he beat them six straight <laughs> yeah. times. When you lose to Auburn, you're going to have a regime change at the University of Alabama. And they got a good change. I would think so. Nick Saban's done a pretty good job in college football. When we come back, we'll keep the college football fun going. We'll talk about the University of Kentucky. We'll talk about Oklahoma State University. We'll mix in some of the famous alumni of these schools. And we'll let you know about their game day traditions. That's all ahead on Talk with an Accent on Everything Southern. show is on the road and stopping by 44 of the South's great college football towns as we get y'all ready for the start of the 2021 college football season. Tailgates, traditions, fight songs. Can you feel the excitement? Here's y'all show host John Rawl to fire y'all up with today's great Southern College Football Showcase. And we're on this big 44 town tour as we're just days away from the start of college football 2021. we got to do a little catch-up. We missed out on one of our schools last week. So today, double duty. It's Kentucky. It's Oklahoma State. Jerry Short is with me here at the Dixie Cafe. And Jerry has covered college football for a long, long time. And, Jerry, where do you want to start off, in Lexington or Stillwater? Oh, mercy. Well, let's see. Babe Pirelli at uh, Kentucky. Yeah. would be a good one. He played for uh, the Bear. Okay. And, uh, and he was a good one. He played way back in he the had late a guy. 40s. He had a teammate named Howard Schnellenberger. He sure did. Schnellenberger wasn't bad. He could smoke a pipe. And then I think their most famous player was that other. There's another player of that 1949 50 In the 40 year. group, yeah. Might have even been a Heisman Trophy winner for Kentucky. Am I crazy on that? Did they get a Heisman Trophy? If they didn't, yeah. he was a finalist. I'm pretty sure. I think he was a finalist. But we'll look it up. We'll look it up. Look at it. Look it up. Look We're up. talking with Jerry Short. We'll start in Lexington, home of the Wildcats here. This hour, we in hour one, told you all about Kentucky's 2021 schedule. They get things going against the Louisiana Monroe Indian Warhawks on that opening Saturday of college football, which is actually next Saturday. 
But today, in this hour, we're going to focus more on the university itself, the famous alumni of the University of Kentucky, as well as some traditions. And we also will throw in some good information on the Oklahoma State Cowboys. It's both Wildcats and Pokes in this segment of our coverage of all things Southern. So, Jerry? Yes, sir. The University of Kentucky, naturally located, its flagship university, Lexington, Kentucky. It is a public land-grant research university, and it has currently an enrollment of over 30,000. That's at all institutions. Well, they really only have the one. To to my knowledge, they only have the one main campus. There are medical centers in Lexington downtown in it. Yeah, but, I mean, they don't have, like, a University yeah. of Kentucky yeah. at yeah. Bowling Green yeah. or at like some schools, yeah. at uh, Hopkinsville. Yeah. No, it's uh, to, to, not that I'm aware of. Frankfurt. You'd think they'd have one at the Capitol. But well, there's it's just already a the college road. there. It's just up the road, too. Yeah, so, again, with 30,000 students plus at this urban setting campus in Lexington, Kentucky, you've been going there a long time. Have you long seen time. Lexington bl- blossom and grow oh, big in John. the last... The first game I went to there was in uh, 69, and uh, it, I hate to tell this, but uh, of course it doesn't really matter, but I was so doggone broke, I'd had just enough money to get there. I didn't have enough money for the ticket, so I jumped the fence, and it was in an old stadium at the north end zone, had a cable across behind the goalpost. A cable? A cable wire to keep you from going on out. Uh, you know, like high schools did in those days. You probably don't remember that either. No. But all high schools would have cable, like a guide wire cable on a telephone pole. They'd stretch it across the end zone or stretch it down the sideline in high schools. Well, at, at Lexington, that's what they had. And so uh, I stood back there. They'd played Indiana the week before, and they was playing Archie Manning in that bunch that game I was at. And they did beat Ole Miss 10-9. to nine. Did they? Yeah, uh, Manning opened with a 67-yard quarterback draw, and we missed the extra point. And then we fumbled going into the end zone. Bobby Knight did, number 28. Fumbled. Uh, no, he fumbled the punt when we held him. And uh, Leon Phelps fumbled diving into the end zone, number 27, a running back out of Wyoming, Mississippi. Hmm. See, back in those days, you knew everybody and every, everybody. So they would say, "Well, you weren't paying attention to the 1950 Kentucky Wildcats because that player that I was having a hard time coming up it? with, George Blanda." Oh gosh, yeah, the cat played pro ball older than anybody in the history of pro ball. Yeah, and I Even thought he might have been a Heisman. I don't think he was a Heisman Trophy. Yeah, winner. quarterback and uh, kicker. Yeah, you know, he kicked in the pros forever, and uh, he also played when. Uh, uh, what team was he playing for? Uh, Baltimore? He played for the Colts for one year. He also played a long time for the Houston Oilers and Oakland Raiders. Who was his plus last? Plus the Bears. Last, who was his last? He was 46 years old playing. He was playing for the Raiders in 75. In 75, that's when he had to play quarterback when somebody got hurt. And he played quarterback a few series. Which, uh, man, we thought that was unbelievable. He's 46 years old? Golly, that's young today. But uh, in those days, that was really old. But George Blanda, yeah, he uh, he kicked. Uh, he was official. He was their official uh, field goal kicker up till then, up till he was 46. Hmm. And that was his last year there. All right, let's talk about, in addition to Mr. Blanda and the aforementioned Howard Schnellenberger, some of the great football players mm-hmm. from Kentucky's <clears throat> very colorful history, some of the famous alumni 
of UK, and that includes the founder of Humana, Wendell Cherry, class of 57, also the founder of Outback Steakhouse. Outback Chris Steakhouse. Chris Sullivan. <clears throat> I would have bet that was an Australian. I don't think he was Australian. <clears throat> Chris Sullivan, founder of Outback Steakhouse, was born in Lake City, Florida. <laughs> well, Graduated from UK in 72. He was closer to Australia than I thought. Yeah, anyway. how about that? Also, <laughs> famous alumni of Kentucky include a, a bunch of famous actors and actresses. Probably the most notable would be Ashley Judd, who got her degree in 2007. Well, let me tell you about Ashley. I was uh, at a basketball game, and they let her travel with them. And uh, they were under the Coliseum at Oxford. and That's when I was covering sports for a newspaper, too. And uh, I was under there, and she came under there. And she was all hugging up with them and all carrying on. And I know there was a reporter out of Memphis that uh, he got bad upset about us letting a Kentucky fan like that get in there and make a fool out of us after we had just been beaten. I think uh, Paterno was coaching them then. Uh, not Paterno. Who, who went to Louisville? Patino. Patino, there you not, go. Not Joe, but Rick. Yeah, not Joe. Joe had a he had a Sandusky. <laughs> yeah. But uh, any, anyway, uh, I, I never forget that guy got really upset. That, what are they letting her on here for? And she was wearing a Kentucky cap, and she was pressing around and hauling for Kentucky. So, you know, but she was a big Kentucky fan. Yep. And you expect that. And so uh, I think they've had a few more, I guess, the doggone a minority leader of the Senate's a Kentucky grad, isn't he? Oh, absolutely not. He's was, not? He was, he's a big-time Louisville guy. Mitch, oh, was he a Louisville Mitch guy? Mitch McConnell. Although, you're absolutely right. He's a big Louisville guy. Probably got a law degree. He did get a law degree from the University yeah, of Kentucky. Yeah, figured that. 1967. They need to Mitch go back McConnell. and re- and review that. You think? Yeah, he's he's missing the boat on a few of his calls. Right All now. right. Well, he's not a <laughs> Supreme Court justice. Also, let's give you one or two other famous University of Kentucky alumni through the years. How about an astronaut, Story Musgrave, a University of Kentucky alumnus, and then in the world of sports, of course, so many great basketball players. Who do you think is the most famous Kentucky basketball alum? Gosh, I got it. You know, I'd go way back if I had to think of who I thought was the greatest. And uh, you know, I can go back to Cotton Nash. Does he as he show up on your chart? But uh, Cotton Nash, yeah, I would sixty-one say, to sixty-four. Yeah, he, he was a former. Get this, a former NBA player as he played in the NBA mm-hmm. for the L.A. Lakers and San Francisco Warriors. He also played in the ABA for the Kentucky Colonels. Yeah, I saw him play college ball. That, that's pretty impressive, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Guess what? He also played for the Chicago White Sox in baseball. Cotton he was a Nash good was, baseball player. Yeah, yeah two-sport two sport guy. Yeah. Cotton Nash, uh, yeah. a native of Jersey City, New Jersey, the birthplace of Kentucky Wildcat athletes, evidently. Yeah, it's not far up the line, really, you know, <laughs> if you want to cross Another the river. great player from that same time period, I think a, a guy who's from the north, one of the most famous Kentucky athletes, mainly for what he did after his days in Lexington. How about Pat Riley from Pat Rome, Riley. New York, with his well, pretty he hair? got to announce, you know, become an announcer, and and uh, didn't he coach a little bit before uh, he, uh, he went straight to announcing? No, he coached the Lakers to a couple championships. And then he went to announce. the Heat. He announced then, didn't he? He's been, he? He was a head coach for nearly 27 years. But What year did he play there? He, he played at Kentucky. Yeah. Did he, he played in the 60s. On the, he was on that team that played and lost to 
Texas West. He was on the ranch. I think so. Rough ranch. So. Yeah. But but I Pat Riley is now seventy six years old. He seems like he would be older than that because I saw him I think when I was in high school. You did. Mm-hmm. All right, again, Kentucky with so many great basketball players through the years. Oh, you can't count them all. And, I mean, it's just uh, many of which that are currently let me starring in the NBA. What about uh, Adolph Rupp? You want to mention him? Uh, did he play? Did he go to school there? He coached there so long that you can't even count how long he coached there. How many years did he coach there? Like 30 maybe or so. But uh, the story that sticks out, I went to a basketball clinic in uh, Birmingham one time. And uh, I think uh, Joe King, is it Joe? Joe King took his place, maybe his assistant. And uh, he was telling us a story at that basketball clinic about when they pulled up to a place that uh, Adolph Rupp wouldn't take the team on from the hotel mm-hmm. over to the basketball arena until he found a woman's bobby pin. Yeah. You remember the days of the bobby pins? Mm-hmm. And uh, they was playing in Oxford. And they said he walked around, and he walked around the Holiday Inn, and he kept walking and kept looking, and he kept looking at their time. And they said, we're going to be late. We're not going to get there in time for, <laughs> to warm up. And they said after that, uh, I believe it was King, one of the, uh, the coach, it took his place. He said, uh, we would uh, put a assistant out there early and throw a couple of bobby pins around <laughs> where they could be found as he got on the bus. They didn't want that to happen again. From the Kentucky baseball world, you have Pee Wee Reese, Jason Kipnis. How about Pee Wee Reese, who was a Chicago Cub and a Cleveland Indian? Jason Kipnis. I think of Pee Wee Reese. Pee Wee Reese. He yeah. played at Kentucky. Yes, sir. I think of him. Was he coach? He he played baseball there at UK. Yeah, I think he did because uh, you know him and uh, Dizzy Dean did the uh, game of the week back in the sixties and. Hall, and uh, they would fight every week when Ole Miss and Kentucky played. I know he was a Kentucky guy okay. because him and D- Dizzy Dean was an Ole Miss guy, and they would have it out on on the national uh, na- on the national broadcast about the two football teams that were going to play. And Pee Wee was always a Kentucky Wildcat. Well, guy. I don't think he went to school there, but he was a Ekron, Kentucky native who died in Louisville in '99 at age 81. Pee-wee Reese. I guess he just cared for the... All right, let's talk about traditions at UK. Of course, they are known for basketball. That's one of the traditions, even though we're more of a a football-oriented deal here. The Wildcat mascot has been the costume mascot, if you see there. Scratch, that's been around since the 1970s. You have at Kentucky the spelling of K-E-N-T-U-C-K-Y. That's a big part of Kentucky. And going back to the basketball thing, it's one of the things Kentucky does better than anybody is the start of basketball practice. They call that Big Blue Madness. And fans camp out for tickets to see the basketball team just go out there at like midnight and practice. And they usually have that on a weekend where Kentucky has a home football game. That's one of the big traditions of UK. What about reading the newspaper when they announced the starting lineup of the team they're playing? I haven't seen that. I've been in the, in Rupp Arena a lot of times, and up comes the newspaper when they announce, ah, the, uh, okay. announce I, the other team. I don't know if you can find a newspaper anywhere these days. I the official colors of Kentucky, of course, blue and white, those were adopted way back in 1892. So that's a, a long tradition for the University of Kentucky. The nickname Wildcats, well, that goes all the way back to a 
road went over the Illinois Illini in 1909. The head of the military department at Old State University told the students in a chapel service following that game that the Kentucky football team had fought like Wildcats. Later, the name Wildcats became more and more popular among Kentucky followers as well as with members of the media, and it would become the Kentucky Wildcats. What year was that? That was taking you back to 1909. Ooh, that's what, a long time. Back when you were hitting middle school. Well, I, I think I was winning beauty pageants. All right, that's <coughs> Kentucky. Jerry, we got to talk about the Oklahoma State. All right, uh, Oklahoma State Cowboys here. Yeah. As we are talking both Kentucky and Oklahoma State today. Oklahoma State University is a public land-grant research university in Stillwater. Founded in 1890 under the Morrill Act, it was originally known as Oklahoma Agricultural and Mechanical College, Oklahoma A&M, and it is the flagship institution of the Oklahoma State University system. The enrollment for Oklahoma State is right around 24,000, so about 6,000 less than UK at OSU in Stillwater. Tell me, for those of us who have not had the pleasure of going to Stillwater, what what kind of area is Stillwater in Oklahoma? Well, it's kind of rolling hills. It's not steep. It's not plains. It's... it's, um, you know, kind of like it's kind of like the area you come from in Lexington, uh, South Carolina. You know, similar to that type. Uh, but uh, you know, it's 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 a little bit different because uh, the weather is so much different there. You're liable to get a lot of wind. You get droughts, and you know, you get uh, in the wintertime it gets pretty doggone cold too. So, uh, you know, at Oak, at Oak, at at, uh, at Stillwater, I was out there when this girl lost control of her car. Oh, and, when she uh, ran into all yeah, those. Yeah, I was eating down at uh, some steakhouse, a cheap steakhouse, uh, Golden Golden Corral, oh, I believe. They, they have Golden Corral there in Stillwater. And, uh, yeah, she had a wreck right up there as they was going to the stadium that Saturday. I think it was like homecoming weekend. It was. It was that weekend. She killed a lot of people. And run over a bunch of them. And, you know, and they had that blocked off when I had to leave to go that way, but I had to take a right to miss it. But uh, it was a bad-looking scene up there on the hill. Some kind of, f- of kind of heel. Some of the famous alumni of Oklahoma State. I would have to put T Boone Pickens right up there. Oh man, near the very top. Also, you have an Oklahoma State alumnus in Anita Hill. Anita Hill from the good old Clarence Thomas hearings. She's an Oklahoma State alumnus. Of course, a great football player, Barry Sanders. Barry back Sanders. Back in the '80s, who went on and had tremendous success in the NFL. Number twenty, maybe. I think so. You also have, in terms of entertainment, Troyal Garth Brooks. Both he and his old track roommate there at Oklahoma State. He's a graduate. Ty of, England. He's a graduate of Oklahoma State. Oklahoma he ran State. track there, believe it or oh, not. Oh, he did. Yeah. He looked a little heavy all the time. Well, I, I don't know what his particular sport was, but he could have yeah. been more of a pole vaulter or something like that. But Garth Brooks. Shot putter. Got his career started in Stillwater yeah. at, uh, at Eskimo Joe's, I believe is the name of the bar there that Garth yeah, Brooks got his. Downtown. Is it? Yeah, okay. kind of downtown. I haven't been to Stillwater. It's still water. there. Not, yeah. not, not yet. Stillwater's a nice, it's not big, but it's a nice little town. Got a lot of famous athletes, of course, that have played at Oklahoma State, including golfer Bo Van Pelt, uh, Justin, uh, not Justin, uh, you have, gosh, there's so many. That, well, like I said Victor Hovland, who's yeah. actually from Europe, he, he played there recently. <laughs> Ricky Fowler, an Oklahoma State alum. He wears his orange every Sunday oh, in really? honor of Oklahoma yeah, State. Really? Robin Ventura yeah. of the Major League 
era. Uh, Robin Ventura, a baseball player. They've had a great baseball program in Stillwater. Well, they do have a few pretty nice golf courses there. And all the way to uh, Oklahoma City. It's not far on up to Oklahoma City. Yeah. A lot of personalities beside Garth Brooks. How about Rex Lynn? Do you know who Rex Lynn is? I'm lost. Rex Lynn. Uh, prior to the last couple of months, he was known for his work on TV shows like CSI Miami. Kind oh, of a okay. very uh, standout character actor. Yeah. But now he's known as Reba McIntyre's boyfriend. I know Reba. I stayed in her hometown yeah. one time. Uh, so this She's is, sticking with Oklahoma, right? Does this guy look familiar here? You've seen him on any TV shows or anything? Rex Lynn? Yeah, I think so. He, he, he plays detective a lot of times. Yeah. He's an Oklahoma State guy, which I didn't know that. I what thought he town went to Texas. What does he say? I don't know where he's from, but he's a OSU alum. A lot of people in business, public affairs, and more Oklahoma State alums. Check it out. They're very distinguished and long list of Oklahoma State. Now, what about the traditions of the Pokes at Oklahoma State with their more than 240,000 living alumni? They live by the Cowboy Code. And you can go to a website called go.okstate.edu and learn more about their traditions and more. Their school colors go back to the late 1890s. The selection of orange and black was a tribute to a popular faculty member whose father was a Princeton graduate. And Oklahoma State has... What year does they go to? 1890s is when that was. Pistol Peak. I I didn't think they'd become a college until... Oh, 1907 or they, so. They were founded 1890. As a land grant. Yeah, established yeah, that's 1890. Right. That's when all those land grant schools came in. Some before that. Some yeah. were actually started during the Civil War. I think some started oh, before the Civil War. During the Civil War. Oh. Penn, Penn State, I think, was the first. Oh, they land grant. They I didn't are. realize And that. so is uh, so Cornell, most of the Cornell in New York State. Cornell is a land grant. Huh. Jerry, just just hang with me. I'm, I'm a, hanging, man. I'm going to teach you so much stuff, especially about his, these Yankee schools. Pistol Pete. Now, he is the scariest mascot in all of college sports. Of his face is absolutely scary. What do you say, guns up? Well, he, he fires that gun, but yes. Pistol Pete originated from an actual person named Frank B. Eaton. Frank Never B. Eaton. Now, I've heard of Pistol Pete Maravich, but I yeah, don't know. No, Pistol Pete's that kind of scary yeah, mascot. Yeah, I know you're talking about with the big cowboy hat on. Yeah. I love the logo. Yeah. It's just the costume mascot is kind of scary, in my opinion. Spirit Rider is a tradition at Oklahoma State. That's the, the horse that rides out. It's a symbol of pride. It's a tribute to the Spirit Rider who rallies fans on football game days and to the spirit of the Old West on which Oklahoma State University was founded. How about Spirit Rider at OSU home games? And then, of course, a tradition they share with their friends, and I put that in air quotes, down in Norman, Bedlam. And the rivalry Bedlam. they have with Oklahoma, one of the best names for a rivalry. Yeah, it is good. So that is a little bit of the tradition and fun for Oklahoma State. That was also a little bit of the tradition and fun of the Kentucky Wildcats. We are Y'all Talk with an accent on all things Southern. We're going to take a break here on Y'all and come right back where Jerry and I will look at some more headlines going on across the southeast. We'll do that before we get out of here. Stay tuned. We're right back after this.
We're back on Y'all Talk with the Southern Accent alongside the Taco Polo Storyteller, Jerry Short, John Raw. We've got a couple of more minutes. If you've got something you need to pass along, we'll welcome your text at 803-816-1170 as we dive back into some of the news and goings-on of the day here with our Taco Polo Storyteller. Jerry? Yes, sir. We mentioned this earlier. Did you realize that a $80 million gift has been given to the University of Tennessee Martin? You told me that. $80 million should go a long way you to UT think. Martin. UT Martin officials saying that a former equestrian Olympic gold medalist commitment to donate her family farm to the University of Tennessee at Martin after her death is valued at a record-breaking $79.5 million dollars a statement from the ut martin campus announced the property appraisal and the pledge gift of the wildwood farm by melanie smith taylor now get this this farm is actually not in martin it's in a place called germantown tennessee and 350 acres 350 in germantown that's high dollar acreage that's why it's worth what it is The officials say the 350-acre Germantown farm, which is a suburb of Memphis, by the way, in Shelby County, it is the largest commitment ever across the University of Tennessee's entire system. Even the main campus in Knoxville. Yes, yes. Now, Ms. Taylor, a 1984 Olympic gold medal winner in equestrian, she joined university officials to announce this plan back in June. I remember when this happened, but I didn't know. I guess at the time they didn't but know. But she won the equestrian. No, when she announced she won the equestrian. Yeah, she was going to leave that too. Yeah, they announced that she going to do it. I guess they just didn't have the appraisal. Yeah. And now the appraisal comes out, and the property will let the university increase programs in veterinary health technology and other agricultural disciplines. So they're vets. So way to go, Skyhawks, on that. And do you realize what the University of Tennessee Martin has that a lot of colleges don't have across the southeast? Vet well, school. I think Questrian, they have a best. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. they got they got a rodeo team. Yeah, they, they don't just have a question. And they didn't put a question in for gender equity. It's been there. Yeah, but they have rodeos at, at UT Martin. Yeah, I knew they did. Pretty neat when they have like collegiate challenges against other schools. Yeah, the rodeo. You remember when they all got killed south of here? I don't. That bus was coming back from a baseball game or something at Ole Miss and where a 72 highway is. They didn't have blinking lights or anything. Yeah. And those vans pulled out and got about six or seven killed. Their baseball team? It was either that or it was one of the sports teams. Okay. Tough, tough. That happens a lot, unfortunately, in college yep. sports. All right, Jerry, let's wrap up here to South Carolina. We go to Aiken. And there in the outskirts of Aiken, you might have, if you've been down Highway 1 or one of the other streets around Aiken, South Carolina, you might have seen Ruby Lundy hanging out outside of her car. And Ruby Lundy is known in the area as the cantaloupe queen. That's where the cantaloupe queen is. That's where she is. She's been selling cantaloupes in Aiken, South Carolina, not all that far from Augusta, Georgia, for decades. And she goes out this time of year with a sign attached to the rear of her Honda Ridgeline and has a big old sign that says Cantaloupe Queen in big purple letters. And people come from near and far to check out her load of cantaloupes and go on to purchase them. Now, when she's not selling cantaloupes, this woman is 
actually enjoying the retirement life. She retired from work as an assistant at a nursing home in the Aiken and North Augusta area in recent years. And so, again, she's out selling cantaloupes. I was just in Aiken a couple of weeks ago, or on the I was actually in North Augusta, and I did not see the cantaloupe queen, but evidently one of her most recent places that she sells her cantaloupes is near Hedge Road. That's just north of Aiken City Limit on South Carolina Highway 19, and she also sells outside of the Dollar General near Shiloh Heights. But check it out. The Cantaloupe Queen, they got a nice story written up about her in a local South Carolina paper, the Aiken Standard, and this nice feel-good story about this lady who's been doing this quite a long time. She's been selling cantaloupe since 1967. Oh, now you mentioned they, don't, they only grow in seven states? Yeah, and that's, I assume that's my the rest segue. of them besides California's. And I don't know if she sells them or she buys them, but let me tell you, in our t- Jerry, we come here each day with an intense research staff at the Y'all Show. We have only a handful of American states that grow cantaloupes. And so cantaloupes, 75% of cantaloupes in this country are grown in California. California, you see. Now, in the South, we only have... Five states that grow cantaloupes. It'd be Mississippi, Alabama, nope. Georgia. Nope. Well, I've seen them grow in Mississippi. Well, at least they're not listed according Man, to this. be one of their money crops. This website. Probably not one of their money crops. It only has Texas, Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina. I saw, I saw a patch yesterday, but uh, I mean, it's not a money crop. Yeah, you might have some out in your garden, but yeah, as we far as big-time harvesting of cantaloupes. But, uh, By the way, Georgia's cantaloupe harvest season runs May through October. South Carolina, it is June through August. North Carolina usually harvests cantaloupes July and August. So we're in cantaloupe time. Right, that's you said why North Carolina, South Carolina, uh, Texas. Texas. And, uh, and then Florida. Florida. Mm-hmm. And Florida's in there. I would think it, it's evidently the soil texture has got to have some sand in Don't it. Don't ask me. Go ask Ruby Lundy, the cantaloupe queen in Aiken, South Carolina. Got to have some sand in it because all those states have sand, have sand in their soil. It's, it's, uh, that's not any it's sandy loam huh? sand or uh, soil, I'm all sure. Right. Hey, I'm not the cantaloupe queen. I'm just the y'all king. You king, the sh- all right. I'm now. the king of the south. I'm not king of the world, just the South, or at least I'm trying to be here on Talk with a Southern Accent. We're going to wrap up, y'all, for this Monday. When we come right back, stay tuned. A quick look at what is ahead on the show all about the South going forward the rest of the week. We're here at the Dixie Cafe, John Rawl and General Jerry Short. We're going to wrap it all up right after this. Stay tuned.
I might get a chance to open me up something. I don't know if it's going to be a Coors or not, but I'm going to open up a big old can of sweet tea, perhaps, as a reward for getting through the show. John Raw wrapping things up here with Jerry Short. In our final segment, let me tell you what is on tap on Tuesday's Y'all Show. We'll be talking about the Auburn Tigers. That'll be our latest stop on our tour across the southeast. We'll also have all the latest entertainment news, some barbecue events going on as well. All that on the Tuesday Y'all Show. Wednesday, we'll be spotlighting the North Carolina Tar Heels and also giving you a Southern Business and Southern Book Report on our Wednesday show. Thursday on the Y'all Show, how about them dogs? The Georgia Bulldogs will be our spotlight school as we're on a 44-city tour across the southeast. On Thursday, we'll also have you all the latest from Nashville and Hollywood in our entertainment report. We'll wrap up the Y'all Show Friday with the Florida State Seminoles plus... We'll have Craig Faulkner and his fishing forecast. That's what's ahead on the Y'all Show going forward the rest of the week. Jerry Short, can't thank you enough for coming on here and being with us once again right here at the Dixie Cafe. Hey, it was good to bring that soccer polo news home. You like that? Oh, I like it. Well, we're glad to have you on again, Jerry, and this show will be podcast form right in a few seconds. So check it out at y'all.com or Spotify. Just search for Y'all Show. Until we get back here on our Tuesday show, have a great rest of y'all's day and keep it Southern. Thank you, guys. Are we going to do what they say can't be done? We've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. I'm eastbound up. Watch on bandit run.